Enter the safe room. Please stand by. Please stand by. Stand by. Please enter the safe room. So everybody, uh, welcome to the safe room. Uh, travelers into the darkness and the unknown. Uh, this is the safe room. Welcome. <clears throat> it is the Thank you. safest room in the house, and uh, we're we're very lucky tonight. To have Mr. Lobo on, the, the critically acclaimed actor, writer, director, producer, and man in the void himself, uh, is on tonight, um, apparently live from the void. I did not know there was internet access, but apparently the Twilight Zone is, is well connected. So, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Lobo has a television show called Cinema Insomnia. Um, I've been a fan for the last, I guess, I guess it'd be eight years now. Seven and a half years I've been watching uh, Cinema Insomnia, but he's also very prolific, but I'll let him explain who he is. So, Mr. Lobo, uh, don't assume that our listeners know who you are, so why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, well, thank you, Olaf. First of all, I want to say it's a pleasure to be here on, on The Safe Room. Uh, Olaf uh, and I go uh, way back. Uh, I, I, I believe it was a paranormal show that you requested that I be a guest on originally when they were looking for guests on an, on a on another paranormal uh uh talk show ow, ow, ow. um but uh you know i uh I, I grew up on creature features uh i was lucky enough to do a couple of live shows with bob wilkins uh who was the host of creature features in northern california uh i i, I wrote some jokes for bob for some live appearances uh, and I had a friend of the TV station who was also aware that uh, I wrote jokes and made films. And, and uh, so there were conspiracy brewing to try to bring back some kind of creature features show. Bob encouraged me uh, to host movies, uh, uh, which at that time I didn't know if I could even do. Um, that was in the mid-90s. And by 2001, I worked at a television station that had uh, 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 movies. Uh, at three in the morning, it ran 20 minutes short, and uh, I I told them that I could fill that 20 minutes, and we created the format for Cinema Insomnia, uh, which is basically a hosted movie with a lot of extra goodies. Sometimes we do uh, we show intermission, drive-in, snack bar ads, and cartoons, and movie trailers, and we do interviews, and we have a lot of humor. And, uh, uh, you know, Mr. Lobo is kind of a spectral uh, narrator. He is in a, uh, a black a rocking chair, in a, a rocking chair in a black void. Uh, uh, we show movies. We like to say they're not bad movies, just misunderstood. Um, I, uh, I'm also an actor. I've been in a lot of genres. People who watch this kind of show, a lot of them are also uh, filmmakers themselves. Uh, uh, we've been doing the show for 15 years now, so uh, a lot of them have grown up with the show and are now making movies, so Mr. Lobo gets cast in a lot of low-budget horror films, including the remake of Plan 9 from Outer Space, simply titled Plan 9, in which I play uh, Criswell. And uh, uh, I uh, do a lot of uh, different uh, projects as a writer, as an artist, 
uh, and uh, we are still making Cinema Insomnia. And is that it? Is that is that enough up to date? Well, I want I do want to plug something. Uh, Mr. Lolo actually is an amazing artist. Uh, um, I am lucky and one of the very, very few people. No, don't do the cayenne pepper, Mr. Lobo. Uh, I have an original Mr. Lobo. The original painting for the In Search of Ancient Astronauts, uh, Mr. Lobo was nice enough to give this to me, um, and it is one of my prized possessions. And, uh, and to tell you how dynamic of a, a painter he actually is, not only is this awesome, it's painted on wood which I found to be absolutely fascinating. So it is literally painted on wood, and it, it, it really te stands the test. I, I think you're, you're starting a new movement, Mr. Lobo, to paint on wood instead of canvas. But this is amazing, and he really is an awesome artist. i got to plug it. i got to plug it. Well, you know, uh, thanks, uh, Olav. I appreciate that. That was the cover for the DVD of the episode. Uh, in search of ancient astronaut, and uh, uh, wood is cheaper than canvas, so <laughs> and it stands up better. And it stands up better, yeah. I mean, we 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 don't treat our stuff very good. We things get banged around, so uh, sometimes just painting it on a nice sturdy plank does the trick. Now, now one other thing that, that's very interesting about you, Mr. Lobo, that is a is a departure from the hosted kind of the horror host genre. Now, um, the listeners may also find it interesting that <clears throat> Mr. Lobo and I uh, grew up in almost the same area. We were separated by about 80 miles, 70 miles. And <clears throat> the, the horror host that he had was a guy named Bob Wilkins. The horror host I had was John Stanley. And John Stanley actually took over for Bob Wilkins when Bob Wilkins left the San Francisco Bay Area and went to Sacramento. So I actually grew up with John Stanley, who's also a fan and a, a big supporter of uh, Cinema Insomnia. But now, the thing that, that I think it's important to point out is that you, you are very different in the, the hosted horror, horror host genre, that you do not just show horror movies. You no. Are. Yeah, and I think not that's before. important. Cult, cult movies, unusual movies, Really, any movie that, that fits with the format, uh, late-night movie. Yeah, and, and so, you know, is there a reason why you chose to branch out away from just horror movies? Because, I mean, conventionally, this notion of the horror host, they call it a horror host because it's just horror. And, and you know, everybody shows horror movies. They, they show Plan 9 from Outer Space, or they show, you know, uh, was it... Um, it, uh, Night of the Living Dead or, you know, Carnival of Souls and, and a lot of these movies that are public domain that are horror-oriented. But why, why did you make the, the shift? Because, you know, that it is very unique that you do that. Uh, horror, horror and horrible, yeah. Well, I, I think that uh, I, I like a lot of different genres. Of course, science fiction and horror are the pillars. Right. Uh, uh, but I, I really do... I enjoy kung fu movies and I enjoy... Uh, crime movies, and I enjoy um, uh, uh, all kinds of cult movies and uh, surreal films and foreign films, and uh, you know, so I I kind of came into it uh, from the psychotronic uh, uh, tradition, which uh, there was a psychotronic film society 
in in Chicago, I think originally, and it kind of spread all over the country in the late '80s and the early '90s, and and the and the Bay Area had their own version of this, and all it's my still, friends still does. still does. Yeah, I think this weekend they're they're doing it at Foothill College. Yeah, the by name of Sci-Fi Bob, who does an amazing psychotronic show. Sci- Sci-Fi Bob and and Paul Echeverry and Scott Miller, right. uh, who are all. Ad- advisors on the show and even Bob Wilkins himself I always lamented that why does it always just have to be horror films uh, I think that uh, you know a silliness on a Saturday night is an important thing and I think that uh, the, the companion aspect is an important thing and I think that horror and and sci-fi and and comedy they are all uh, similar genres they're all uh, genres of fantasy they're all genres of surprise and uh, uh, I think that, uh, you know, at least uh, for me, and, and, and from a very practical standpoint, there's a larger pool of films to draw from. Uh, and, and, and unfortunately, when, when we uh, are, are, are left with mostly public domain, we do license some films, but uh, we, we pad out our, our library with public domains, and there just aren't enough uh, films, in my opinion, uh, to, to stick strictly with horror um, so uh, that, that those are those are a lot of the reasons, but, but generally I, I think when I think of also the character of Mr. Lobo, I kind of think of the Twilight Zone, and 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 Night Gallery and Rod Serling, and and that's definitely another influence on the on Mr. Lobo uh, as 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 I appear on on the show, uh, and uh, I think that from that place it's the realm of the imagination. The void is the subconscious and inside your head and and from there you can go anywhere and I, I think that that's what was always exciting uh, about the Twilight Zone and Night Gallery and I think that uh, Cinema Insomnia kind of carries that anthology um, it, it, in a weird way it's kind of an anthology show with film well you know and and also I think I uh-oh. Oh, go ahead. Okay. Drink your kind. i got to explain that this is radioactive, so watch watch my face when I drink it. Oh, you're returning? <laughs> okay, now see, now the color has come back to my face. Yeah. Now, but so whenever I take a sip out of my <coughs> blue cup, my face turns orange. So, there you go. That's why, he, what, that was the comment about the cayenne pepper uh, earlier. So now, one of the other things that I think is fascinating about Cinema Insomnia is that not only do you you show, I mean, you've shown Creature, and, and, which is a great Klaus Kinski, and you know Klaus Kinski is amazing, um, but you, you show Creature, and you show uh, the first spaceship on Venus, and you show all these science fiction movies, and then you show Horror on Party Beach, and you show Ega, and all this, but now... Uh, something I noticed is that in the last um, Halloween special, your Halloween specials are almost legendary at this point. That they're they're insane. The what you do. Now I noticed in the last one you didn't show a movie. The last two that we have we have yes, not last shown. Two. That's right. Uh, yes. Well, you know, I, I think it's an evolution uh, of the show. I mean, uh, you know, it, it's hard. We, we, you know, to do something special. Uh, you know, we, we definitely wanted to define something as a special. We did a Bob Wilkins special before where there was no feature film and it was just me and Bob 
Wilkins in a cemetery with Cliff intercutting our little adventure in the cemetery. So that, I guess, began the tradition of the non-traditional hosted show, where it's a bunch of short items uh, strung together, whereas now I, instead of being the bread in the sandwich, now I'm the meat in the sandwich, and the I'm getting hosted by all the clips versus me hosting the feature. So that's, that's pretty gutsy for a horror host. Because, I mean, conventionally you think that, that the horror host has to host a horror movie. Now not only are you not hosting a horror movie, you host whatever you want, but now you're creating the film instead of the film creating you. And that, that dichotomy is, is very interesting for a, a hosted horror show. Well, uh, you know, I think that uh, as I'm, I'm an artist and, and I think that the, I look at this as an art form and I try to uh, experiment with the, with the art form. And, uh, you know, I think uh, in, in looking at the tradition and looking at things like Mystery Science Theater and, and other shows that where, you know, it becomes clear that people are watching more for the hosts than they are um, the films in a lot of cases. And, or in some other shows where uh, the patient of the host kind of changes the course of the film, uh, you know, you start to uh, start thinking about, well, if you start looking at the film, you know, in, in the old days, originally it was thought of that the, the host was just window dressing for the movie. And a lot of times in the TV guide, they never even would list who the host even was or what the name of the show was. It was just the title of the movie. Even in Elvira's time, in most TV guides, it just would say the name of the movie. And if you were lucky, it would tell you it was Elvira's movie, Macabre. Now, before I get to our longstanding argument, I have a question. So, I will this argument all off. Just tell me you I, won't. I, so, you are going down. No, I'm not. So, <laughs> yeah, silent running, mm-hmm. completely underrated or total crap? Uh, both. I okay. think. I think both. I think. I think from from uh, a standpoint of a groundbreaking science fiction film, I think it it, it definitely delivers. And on a special effects standpoint, uh, there are a lot of trade secrets in that film. Well, uh, it was trouble. Douglas Trumbull, of course, from 2001, who also worked on um, the salt, which is right. amazing because that sucks as far as it's with Cure Delay, with Cure Delay, yes, and an yes. extra, and he sucks. Um, no, he's, he, I like that no, show. He sucks in that show. Now, for oh, people who don't know, Cure fun. Delay played Bowman in 2001, and he's an accomplished Canadian actor, and that show is total crap. But Tremble was trying to write it and direct it. And I think, much like Ridley Scott, he realized one day that he get special effects. And that's it. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and he was spread real thin on because for, for a show that's supposed to be, for a guy who's known for groundbreaking special effects, the effects on, on, uh, on Star Wars are, are very poor. Very, very poor. <laughs> so, but I mean, you know, you've got a show, you've got... Uh, Rickin is in it. I mean, all these famous guys are in this movie, and it's it's generally panned as being one of the worst movies ever made. What the Silent Running? Movie? Yeah. Oh, I don't think so. I don't think so either. I think it's very misunderstood. <laughs> all right. So before we start the argument, and we yes. we've discussed this, Larry, read the numbers in case anybody's actually watching. Okay. 
503-894-5313 if you want to call in. Yes, please call us and interrupt us. Okay. Actually, let me do that again. Huh? If you want to call in and talk to Mr. Lobo and any questions... What's that number? 503-894-5313. He's going to call in. Holy crap. That's a rotary dial phone. I have not seen one like that in ages. A Bakelite phone. I'm not getting anything. So this might be a, this might be a prop. So. <laughs> All right. Okay. Yes, sir. Let me let me set the scene. So, in in filmdom, science fiction, he's getting radioactive to prepare. In wow. science fiction filmdom, um, there there are a few movies that set. And I know this isn't conspiracy stuff, but there's a few movies. Oh, we lost your video. There there are a few movies that that are. Uh, well, you might want to wait for him to come back. Yeah. Let's do that. There, there we go. He's back. It's just, just so much radiation there, it affected the signal. It affected the signal. It, it totally destroys it. Yeah, I got to watch out with that stuff. Okay. My, my pan-galactic gargle blaster. <laughs> okay, before I do this, so, or the remake? What are, what are we talking about? Of the Hitchhiker's Guide. I like them both. I like, I like the, I, I listen to the radio show. And I remember being mad that there was a TV show because I had these pictures in my head of what everything's supposed to look like. So I remember not liking the TV show at first because it didn't match my imagination. But then I loved the TV show. And then the movie, the same thing happened. Where I went to go see the movie, and the first time I, I wasn't sure that I liked it. And it grew on me, and I liked, I liked the new movie too. So that, I, I think that, and, and the book's the same way. So I, I feel like the thing... I mean, really, I mean, you're dealing with Douglas Adams, who is basically an editor who, who understudied for Monty Python. Right. And, and that's, that's what you have is, is basically sketch comedy in outer space. And, and, and I don't think it's worth taking that seriously as far as shooting down uh, a reimagining of any sort. Well, you know, for me personally, when they go through Magrathea, I find that the Magrathea in the film because they had the special effects budget, is awesome. Yeah. Compared to the Magrathia on the TV show. show. But this, I, was, this was kind of awesome for its time. It was, it was. But I think the acting is better in the TV show than in the movie. I think the movie is overplayed. My, my feeling with the, with, the, with the movie is that I liked everything that I did not, had not seen before, because it was hard to see that scene where uh, you know Arthur's laying in front of the bulldozers, and then they go to the um, they go to the uh, the pub. I mean, all that th those scenes are so classic and so well done in the TV show. The seeing them recreated was was kind of irritating initially for me. But like you know, when they go to the planet of the Vogue, when they go to the Vogusphere, and and they right. got the the things hitting them in the face, and anything that was original and new that I couldn't compare to anything, I, I, I laughed my ass off. I really was pretty impressed with everything that was new. No, I forgot the Vogusphere. That, that was pretty good. Okay, so to set the scene. Yeah. <laughs> so in science fiction film, there are a few movies that are, are legendary for various reasons. And one of those is one of my favorite films of all time. I've seen it probably 200 times, is Blade Runner. Same here. I've probably seen it two or 400 times. Um, I, two, two or 400, which is a vast, yeah, 
size difference is probably the same. And mm -hmm. and Blade Runner is a film. Now, wait, before you go any further, okay. wouldn't you say that every movie after Road Warrior wanted to be the, the, the outfits like Road Warrior, and every movie after Blade Runner wanted to be the cities like Blade Runner. Blade Runner. Yes. The, they tried desperately to copy the cities, the special effects, the flying car, the whole thing. <clears throat> Blade Runner is interesting as a film for a lot of reasons. There's long been a belief that, that um, Ridley Scott puts everything into a movie for a reason. That everything you see visually, because Ridley Scott is a visual director. Everything you see is there for a reason. There are, so the inconsistencies, the number of replicants that are destroyed, the, the origami, they, they all mean something. The, the, there's the legend of the, of the dream sequence that you see in where that, is, that dream sequence played out as legend, right? The legend is actually the dream sequence. All that stuff. I know, I know. Yeah, that entire film is the dream, it's the dream sequence. sequence, right? That's yeah. the legend. That's, That's legend. how you want to watch it, where you just stop the movie, you just Play start legend. legend, watch all of Legend, then come back and watch the rest of it. Yeah, but you see, that benefits Ridley Scott because you have to buy two movies. Yeah. Okay. Keep going. Go ahead. Set this up. Make this turkey fly. <laughs> Make this turkey fly. Okay, so one of the other one of the other things that has long been a debate within fandom, so to speak, um, besides completely overanalyzing the film in every way, shape, and form, that movie has been so overanalyzed it's tragic, and I have unfortunately participated in it. There, there are roughly seven versions of the film, and there are seven completely standalone films. That they, it is seven completely different movies. But the main two are the quote-unquote director's cut, <clears throat> which we can talk about, and the theatrical version. And it's actually, the, I think, the third theatrical version is the one that they actually theatrically released. Now, the main difference between, well, there are a lot of differences, but the main difference that is noticeable if you don't give a shit about the movie, you're just watching it, is that there is a in the beginning of the theatrical version. Now, Mr. Lobo has memorized most of that, that narration. And Lobo and I... Sushi! That's what my ex-wife used to call me. Cold fish. They didn't advertise for killers in the newspaper. That was my profession. Ex-cop. Ex-blade runner. Ex-killer. That's it. That's, That's part it. of the narration, yes. Now, if I ever make a remake of Blade Runner, you are... <laughs> I'm Rick Deckard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> you can do family photos. Replicants didn't have families either. Sorry, I need no, to go. The one I really want to hear you do is is the is the droplets of rain one. The the one with Roy Batty at the end. Oh, I've seen things that you people wouldn't believe. Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of it. I've seen TVs glitter in the dark by the Ten Hauser Gate. All these moments will be lost in time, like here in Spain. Right? Something like that. That's no, awesome. that's, that's it. <laughs> and actually, what's interesting is that, is that Rudger Hauer, if I remember correctly, Rudger Hauer actually uh, 
he he improv that. He wrote, uh, maybe that's possible. He he actually came up with it there. Um, but the debate that Lobo and I have had for many many years actually is whether the narration is actually. Now I have always maintained that the narration is a waste of time, that it is a waste of good filmmaking, and that I don't give a shit if his ex-wife, because he doesn't have an ex-wife, his ex-wife called him sushi. Now Lobo, on the other hand, believes that the narration called to the success of the film. Now, I, I would really like to hear why you believe that it's critical to the success of the movie. Well, first of all, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of, of, of revisionist filmmaking. You know, um, I, I saw that movie in the theater when, when Blade Runner came out. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the thing that was obvious to me, obvious uh, uh, and not obvious, but proven, is that they were trying to do a film noir, um, uh, a, 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 a tech noir, which was a genre in the 80s, where it was a, a futuristic version of like a, uh, you know, Sam Spade kind of detective story. Chinatown. China. Sure, all that. Right. And, uh, you know, all of those stories, all of those detective stories famously... Uh, have the the hard boiled narration, and there is some very fun. Granted, it, it's a little ham fisted and kitschy, but that's how those things. That's how that dialogue is, you know. Um, uh, so uh, you know, I, I I was eating it up as a as a as a as a uh, emerging teenager uh, when I saw that film, and I uh, and and later I learned that uh, another great film, uh, uh, which I think is a great film, that a lot of people may disagree, but uh, Heavy Metal, which Blade Runner, Blade Runner was very inspired by, inspired by. Uh, both the comic book Metal Herlant, and especially, and Ridley Scott admitted that he was lifting Harry Canyon from the uh, 1981 film, uh, 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 Heavy Metal. Harry Canyon is, is the, is the hard-boiled detective uh, he's actually a cab driver, which was also liberally ripped off for uh, Fifth Element uh, later. But you know, uh, I, I, di I didn't think about that, but you, you're right. Uh, Harry Harry Canyon is a detective who who, who picks up uh, a fare, or not not a detective. I mean, he is a, a cab driver, but is done in the style of a noir, and he is narrating. You know. Uh, I was given this babe the stars and stripes forever. You know, that whole thing. Right. Uh, uh, New York City, what a dump. The UN building, they turned it into low-rent housing. You know, all that stuff. Right. Uh, Ridley Scott was, like, eating that up and going, that's what I want for my movie. That's what I want for Blade Runner. I want it to be Los Angeles in, or New York in, in heavy metal. I want to do L.A.'s version of that. For, for, for Blade Runner. He certainly was following Blade, uh, uh, heavy metal a lot closer than he was following Philip. Following Philip. That's true. So now, that, is my, that is my argument for, for, the, uh, for, the, for the narration in, in, in Blade Runner. Now, do I need to say any more? Do I need, do I need to say any more? You're going, you must be radioactive, radioactive waste. All right. So now, from my
<laughs> All right. So <laughs> from my perspective, right, I, I will grant you that the way the theatrical, the theatrical, theatrical version is cut, that the narration is, is interesting because it does set the film up as a film noir. And the ending of the film where they drive off into the sunset is also a very kind of film noir ending. My problem is, is that I think it may be revisionist filmmaking. And I, I don't know, nobody will ever know except Ridley Scott, whether the... Nobody will ever know except Ridley Scott whether the director's cut and the, the final cut and all the other cuts that he made are actually what he wanted people to see. He says they are. We won't know if that's actually true or not. What we do know is that he released the director's cut, and I happen to like the director's cut better. The reason being is that I think that in, in Western filmmaking, in American filmmaking in general, that we dumb down the films too much. And I think that the narration hands the audience too much information about the film. And that I believe that the ending is a cop-out. Now, if you watch the film in the direct, director's cut version where they remove the narration and they remove the section where they're driving away into the sunset, I think it makes a much more, much more powerful film. <laughs> so I think it makes a much more powerful movie because what it forces the audience to do is to pay attention and to actually invest in the film to figure out who he is, who is Decker. And in, in I think you more, see, when you get the narration and you have his story handed to you, I'm a shithead, my wife hates me, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm an alcoholic loser eating noodles in a noodle bar on the side of, an ultimately this beautifully done dystopian future, and I'm a dystopian, massive, beautiful dystopian future. I think by handing you that, you're told too much. I think by removing it, you're forced to invest in the film and to understand it and to ultimately arrive at the conclusion that Deckard is a replicant. Uh, Olaf, Olaf, first of all, I'm, I'm going to call you an ignorant slut right now. Uh, the thing is, is if, if, if the, the, when, when Deckard falls... Uh, first of all, Blade Runner was a very expensive movie, okay? And the studio has been desperately trying to make their money back out of that movie because that movie cost a fortune and was a flop when it came out initially in the bo at the box office. So all the director's cuts and all these versions are just an excuse to just get their money out of that thing because it was enormously expensive and ambitious. Okay? You're making Larry drink. You're making Larry drink. I am not making him drink. Okay, he he drinks he drinks because he's your producer. <laughs> okay, now let me tell you this: the narration is part of the deception. Okay, it's all about implanted memories. Okay, we don't. That's true. He, he talks about his ex-wife. He he talks about his years at the force, but there's no evidence of these things ever happening. They're all in his head, and if you do pay attention to that film. You see the little gleam in his eye. 
You don't see him fall asleep at a piano and have a dream about a unicorn that Gaff couldn't have known about unless he read his file and folded the unicorn to say, look, I've been in your file. I know you're a robot, dude. That is dumbed down, okay? When I saw that movie, and initially with the narration and, and following as a film noir with a detective, and then I went home and read Philip K. Dick to Android's Dream of Electronic Truth and went, holy crap, he was an android? And then I went back and watched Blade Runner again and went, wow, and that one shot that's slightly out of focus, he's got the gleam in his eye also. He, he is an android, and I got to figure that out without a goddamn stupid dream sequence or, 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 or what have you, or, or listening to the whole volume of the entire movie dip down, you know, uh, where, in all the places where the narration should have been. Uh, you know, it's, it's a, true, it's, by the way. It's they a, did a it, shitty job of removing it. They did a really bad job, of, a hatchet job of, of removing it, which is very distract. Uh, you know, I feel like, it, you know, if you hear a, a, a piece of, of, of music, and, you know, if I went and, 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 and heard, you know, the, the you know, uh, uh, Sergeant Pepper and somebody went and said, well, they really didn't want the Calliope music in there. So we took all that crazy crap out that George Martin was like, well, sorry, that's, that, that's just how it came out. And everyone who saw that, that's what they saw. And you can't take it back. The toothpaste is out of the tube and you either have to stand behind it or, or, or stand Nobody else has people coming to their job and going, you know, you know that report you, you filed 15 years ago? Here's your chance to, 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 to fill it out the way it was supposed to be filled out in the first place. No one else in their job gets to do that. I don't think Ridley Scott should, have, should get to do that. It's like you, you turned in your homework and everybody saw it and you got your grade and that's how it goes. The end. I'm trying to figure out the best way to respond to that. <laughs> By starting I out don't going, know if you Mr. can Robo, respond to that. I'm going to tell you you're a complete jackass. <laughs> <laughs> no, every, everything you said is true. Is true, but I don't know. I, I do agree with you that the dream sequence is too much. And, and I do agree with you that the gaff holding the unicorn is a dead giveaway. Right? And it, it, it's kind of, I mean, but the problem with that is that the whole gap is giving it away. He folds the erection before he's going to be a big tough guy. How the fuck did he know that what he was going to do? You know, he folds the chicken. I mean, he knows before, before Decker does anything, Gaff knows what he's going to do. And how is that even possible? Because he's Edward James almost. <laughs> like, dude, yeah. <laughs> That's true, and and the story he, he, he's from the long, long standing tradition of minorities in Hollywood movies. <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that. We should have had you on here ages ago. You on the Blade Runner thing? <laughs> you knew, you you know that you're you poked the animal with the Blade Runner. I, 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 you're just wrong. That's all. You like the, you like the, you like the director's cut because you're pretentious. And 
And that's what the tank will do. They like director's cuts because that's what they programmed to do. You went to film school. So who, who programmed me to like them? Is part Man? of MK Ultra program. <laughs> I, I don't know. Whoever told you to wear flannel and have a beard. <laughs> Same guy. That's true. The Brawny commercial. <laughs> <laughs> and I've always had a beard. In a whole world, am I not? Uh, no, it, it's you're, you know what it, it is true. I mean, the people who watch the Criterion version and the people who watch the director's cut, they because they can't. Now, I saw I saw the director's cut at the Grand Lake, and I will tell you that seeing it it on the screen is a man. You know, but I, a lot to be honest. I saw the director's cut when I was uh, when it came in an art in an art house movie theater, and I remember coming out of it going, "Wow, that's how it was always supposed to be." You said it just you like know? fine, but that because you know because I was coming out of an art house movie theater. It's true. Um, and 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 then but you know once once the hate just like when I saw Superman three, I was like, "Wow, that's the best one. It's got video games." You know, it's like I, I felt that way when I walked out, but when I cooled off and thought about it, I went, well, that's not really, that's, that's, that's not fair. It's not right. And then I heard later that, that really Scott didn't even sign off on, on what the so-called director's cut. So has he, you know, signed off, has he signed off on any of them? Except I don't know that he has. And, and, and so, the, the, you know, if you follow the equation... It's just the studio trying to make their money back on that movie, and that's just what all those other versions are about. And and as that and, and and the 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 you know like Brazil, and a lot of other movies that were enormously expensive that that that, that did not meet the expectations of the investors of that film. As they see the appreciation of that film grow, they go, "Hey, maybe now's the time to to finally cash." In on 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 that growing cult appreciation of this movie that we put so much money into all those years ago. Well, yeah, because how many how many insane pretentious sluts are there out there that have watched it four hundred times? I've seen Blade Runner more times than I've seen Star Wars. And I bet you bought all seven versions of that movie. Uh, well, the six that are available. Yeah, I only know about the seventh because I know a guy who he was. Walking, he worked in the film industry. He worked on, on Carnosaur. He was walking down the street in L.A. and he walked. He would walk past an art house movie theater, and they said they were showing Blade Runner. And it's like I've heard of Blade Runner. I didn't know it was out. I'm not doing anything. Carnosaur is doing whatever it's doing. What the hell? I'm going to go see it. And it was actually a a um, an unscheduled test screening. And he says he claims that the version that he saw has elements of both the director's cut and the original. Um, like, I think it has, it's like the director's cut with the narration, minus the ending. And he, he's never seen it since. So there is at least one other version that's floating. I mean, they tested that movie like five times. Uh, you know, they test a lot of movies, and, 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 they, and they, they make a lot of changes to films, and, you know, you know, one of the worst uh, tested movies of all time was Airplane. 
they thought that movie was going to be a huge bomb because people aren't honest when they fill out those cards, you know, when they're filling it out going, you know, you know, would you recommend this movie to your friends? They're thinking about like the boobies and the racism and the, what all that humor. They're all, oh, well, no, I would not. Mm-hmm. June Cleaver. I absolutely and, 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 did. And, uh, <laughs> and, 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 but you know, when that movie came out, it was a huge hit. So, you know, that data does not always tell the truth. The other aspect of it is that, um, you know, I, I kind of feel like, you know, I don't want to know that the magician, you know, where the magician puts all his, his uh, doves and his food and, and that the fact that these guys don't really know what they're doing and they don't really get to do what it's like, it's like, you know, you're kind of shame on you for, 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 for putting that on the audience. You know, I, I kind of feel to a certain degree, it's like, you know, that's not supposed to be the audience's problem that we didn't get the movie that you wanted us to see. Well, you know? there, there's a system for that. The, the, directors, the Directors Guild has a system for, you know, releasing movies that you don't want to, you're not happy with. And David Lynch took advantage of it. Alan Smithy Films. Yes. If you ever, for my listeners, if there are any out there, if you ever if you ever want to watch a movie that where a famous director directed it and was pissed off, do a search for Alan Smithy. An Alan Smithy movie is directed by by a director's guild member who is upset, who doesn't want his name attached to it. They retired that, but yes. They don't do it anymore, but because it's too well known. Yeah. But well then it used to be. And and Lynch is one of the classic examples with Dune. That he was so pissed off by it. It was an Alan Smithy movie. Shrimp on the Barbie, I think, is uh, um, Alan Smithy. Hellraiser 3, I think, is an Alan Smithy. Um, you know, a lot of times directors don't get what they want. But, you know, if your name is on it and you took a paycheck for it, you know, you, how many times, like George Lucas, it's like how many times can you go, well, that's not what I really wanted to do. It's like, look, you've got, uh, you, you, you know, just you have a, a thing that everyone knows it's a part of our culture now you don't get to keep playing with it it's already it's already out there yeah and, and when you do you know it's like it's the younger generation you know they only know the modified version and it's like you know what i grew up with is radically different there's no java hanging around the millennium falcon it's like oh crap let's get out of here you know so I, I agree with you. I agree with you on that, <laughs> surprisingly. But you know, I think there are. I do think it's interesting to watch Alan Smithy movies, you know, because some of them aren't actually that bad. I mean, Hellraiser three wasn't that bad. I mean, it wasn't like Star Trek. Very I, misunderstood. Huh? Very misunderstood. Hellraiser. Very misunderstood. I mean, you know, phantasms and all those. I mean, they're they're very enjoyable. <laughs> we had a big screening recently with Halloween 3, which used to get, I mean, just viciously panned as the worst of the series. And, and I feel that history has been very kind to it. It's, I think it now stands as one of the best in that series, other than the original. Well, um, the premise was very interesting. With the, with the mask with and the, the locks and Stonehenge. And, and you know, it's, uh, such a, so many twists and turns. It was a very fun movie. What? And, of course, Donald Pleasance. Donald Pleasance was not in that film. He was in that film. Oh, no. Was he in the second one? Yes. Oh, okay. Dr. Loomis, yes. But the third one does not have Michael Myers, so it does not have Dr. Loomis. I thought it had him in there. No. 
See, I am an ignorant slut. Tom Atkin. Tom huh? Atkin. Oh. I am an ignorant slut, Mr. Lobo. That's okay. I bow down before your... No, no. I don't want that. I don't want I'm that. I'm a bold spot. There's nothing... There's nothing... I have nothing to be proud of. <laughs> I really don't. All right. So we're, we're at 9.53 our time. Let, yes. Let's take a let's take a break for a couple minutes. Uh, Mr. Lobo uh, sent us a video clip. Can you set it up, and we're going to play it through the break? I, we're ready yeah, to go. I, I, let me just say too that after the break, I have a very big announcement uh, uh, yeah. for Mr. Lobo Industries. Uh, so please stay tuned. But uh, this basically was uh, a an entire episode of Cinema Insomnia cut down to 14 minutes uh, as a going away present to my friend Will the Thrill who was a film promoter in the San Francisco Bay Area who we've had on who we had on the show and who I often appeared at live events with. So that that is that, so that is what you're seeing here is a an episode of Cinema Insomnia with Will the Thrill uh, and Sid Haig cut down to fourteen minutes. And by the way, before Larry before you play it, I have seen Will the Thrill. I've met Will the Thrill. And if you watch a movie uh, that he is promoting that he is putting on Will the Thrill is awesome. It's it's an awesome show. Cool, cool. It's a cabaret style uh, 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 presentation where people uh, have beer and wine and watch a movie, and they have like uh, 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 bands play and 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 comedians and uh, burlesque and a movie. Hey, it's very, awesome. it was very neat. He he's in Seattle now, writing writing noir actually. Right on. Sounds like a great clip. Everybody, watch this. Section, give the projectionist an opportunity to adjust the sound level and focus the lens before the start of the picture. And tonight, your humble horror host invites you all to a special Halloween party. Actually, the whole thing was my co-host, Miss Mitten's idea. She's so amusing. House on Haunted Hill, where so far the ghosts have murdered only seven people. <laughs> So won't you come and make it eight? I will give these back to you. I promise. Tonight, through the miracle of Lobo Emerjo, we'll be transported to the brink of, of, of scariousness. This is Mr. Lobo for Cinema Insomnia, and I'm here with Sid Haig, actor extraordinaire. Well, all right. <laughs> Sir Sid Haig. Oh, no. Don't tell the queen that. <laughs> she doesn't know. No, no. The house of a thousand corpses. Um, due to our $10,000 giveaway, we can't really afford to bring you that title tonight. So instead, we're going to bring you that uh, low-rent, old dark house classic that has sublet many imitators, directed by uh, William Castle, the uh, guru of movie gimmicks himself, and uh, starring uh, that guy from the Thriller video. 
It's the amazing Chinsei knife, the sharpest knife ever made. Its serrated edge is made of an unbreakable space-age material that never rusts and never needs sharpening. It can cut through the rock-hard scales of a Chinese alligator and still go through a tomato like this. Try that with your old rusty junk drawer shank. Forget it, it's so dull you won't even break the skin. And hey, why should Frank, Dean, and Sammy have all the fun and get all the broads, especially now that they're dead? Well, Will the Thrill has a solution for you kids. Now you can have your own Rat Pack. Check it out, fits a whole bottle of Jack Daniels, box of cigars, and a package of prophylactics right here. It's Will the Thrill from Thrillville. I know who I am. I, I didn't expect to see another host here. Well, I did expect to see Ms. Mittens. I you know, sent you an invitation. I see you got it. And I also see you brought Mr. Lobo. Well, you see, uh, he, uh, she needed a ride. And uh, on the way over here, I thought, you know, this might be an opportunity for Mr. Lobo to uh, mingle with other partygoers, you know? Mr. Lobo could get his freak on and everything. Yeah. Go to the 99 cent store and you buy yourself a professional pumpkin carver's kit. That includes uh, uh, whatever this is called and uh, this thing. No! No, I know how you feel about pumpkin carving, okay? We've already gone over this. We're only using cruelty-free plastic pumpkins this year. Just, you know, Mr. Lobo is not an expert pumpkin carver and this might take Mr. Lobo all night if I were to try and do this. Do we still have our, uh, do we still have our expert pumpkin carver on hand? Oh, I've seen you've uh, brought your own. Well, I'll just take my little thing and stand over here. Uh, we're not going to give any of your cousins a switchblade smile on this program. Ever again. <laughs> What was it like working on that scene from Galaxy of Terror? That was that was totally amazing because there's not too many guys that have got the cojones to chop off their own arm. Prepare yourself for the ultimate battle. Galaxy of Terror. My mom could do that. <laughs> Stay with your buddy. Have your treat receptacle at the ready. And prepare to ask strangers to smell your feet because we're going to ring the doorbell of the house on Haunted Hill. Mysterious pools of blood dripping from the ceiling. Hurry, or you'll be late for your own funeral. I'm looking forward to mixing it up with you tonight. Hey, wait, Mr. Lobo, well, you know, this ain't exactly Thrillville, baby. It's more like Dullsville, you know what I'm saying? What do you mean, Will? I mean, this is our chance to kind of, uh, you know, uh, loosen our neckties and then kick off our shoelaces and go uh, nutsoid. Uh, now, if you're not allowed to use a, a sharp knife to make your jack-o'-lantern, there's a fun way you can make a mock jack-o'-lantern using your old Mr. Potato Head accessories. So you just... Uh, Take a few of, a few of, a few of things here. Let's not go crazy, okay? I mean, it's a broken-down carnival full of has-beens. In fact, never was is. And you're a big star, baby. You know what I'm saying? 
I'm not sure what you mean, Will. You don't belong here. I mean, you know what I mean? It's, you, you're, just, you're, not, you're the wrong fit. I mean, it's, it's Halloween. I mean, none of the rides here work. This is no place to be. And, you know, and you're a horror host. But who needs mechanical stimulation when you've got good conversation? Well, you know, at our age, we need all the stimulation we can get. In fact, I have a Viagra Fez dispenser. You mean Pez dispenser? Whatever. The point is, it's Halloween. You're a horror host. You're the horror host of horror hosts. And here you are slumming with us. I mean, shouldn't you be hosting a show right about now? You're Mr. Lobo. The little kids are out there right now rushing through trick-or-treating saying, yeah, 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 fill up my bag, give me the candy so I can go home, turn on the TV and watch Mr. Lobo. All right, don't move. You know what to do. Put the stuff in the bag. Don't look at my face. Just put the stuff in the bag. So you're saying duty calls. Duty calls. I can hear it right now. I can hear duty calling. Because you know why? And you're the only one who can hear it. You know why? Because who else has the expertise, the experience, the style, the wit, to look into a camera and say, and now back to our shadowy feature, House on Haunted Hill. maybe some eyes, and you can put them in any combination you want. Maybe a little purse, I don't know. And uh, before you know it, you've got a fearsome creature. Like you, like you, I love to shred. But even a hardcore skateboarder like myself slams sometimes. Have you been injured in a skateboard or skateboard-related accident while grinding, thrashing, or catching wicked air, neck, or back injuries? Road rash, hippers, split kneecaps, lost shoes? I can help. I'm on your side. I'm Rad Abram, skateboard attorney. What Mr. Lobo likes to do is to take ordinary store-bought caramel apples, Add a little apple cider, some candy corn as a preservative, Chuck Jarman, the artist, mm -hmm. took four pictures, mm -hmm. okay, four views, took it home and sculpted this out wow. of clay, okay? That's, that's artisanship. Blend it all to a smooth, creamy consistency. Oh. Put the lid on first. Well, uh, my prediction is, is that, uh, you know, 40 years from now, there are going to be people wearing that mask on Halloween. And I won't know about it. <laughs> I will probably be in the ground. You'll be 1,001. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, oh well. That's how it goes. That's right. We're all going there. Yeah. Might as well enjoy yourself. How liberal is this show that you do? <laughs> it's it, we're on broadcast television, so that's. Is oh, that so what I you can't. Mean? I can't show you the back of my shirt. Then. Oh no. Okay. No. 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 Oh, you can okay. show this. Everybody. Okay. Bye, Mr. Lobo. Adios. Sayonara, baby. Hasta la vista. See you later. Via con Elvis. TCB. Follow that dream. Happy trails. 
That's it, he's finally gone, finally. Okay kids, the real Halloween party can begin now. got something that you want to do burning inside you go for it 100 percent stay focused and the most important thing in the world never quit never 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 quit wow. <laughs> kind of tears you up don't it excuse me for a second yeah all right you'll be all right Hey there, ladies and gentlemen, guys and ghouls, Rat Packers and Mickey Mouse Clubbers, G-Men and B-Girls, welcome to the Mr. Lobo Experience. And now, without further ado, but with insincere apologies to Ray Dennis Steckler and Hannah Barbera, I present to you the incredibly strange creatures. Okay. 
Well, that was a, a fantastic break. Um, <clears throat> always enjoyable to watch Cinema Insomnia, even condensed down to 14 minutes from two hours. It's quite an editing feat, Mr. Lobo. So, I've got to ask you. Um, yes. I, I have been a fan for a long time. Yes. But the music video is an enigma. Now, now where did you make it? Yeah. And who wrote it? Okay. Uh, well, the, the music video uh, is an enigma. We like to say an enigma with attitude. Um, we, uh, we actually uh, wanted to do this for two and a half years. I had this idea of the banana split only with B-movie monsters uh, performing instead of, you know, the kids' show, The Banana Splits. And I wanted to do a Saturday morning cartoon theme. But my friend Scott Moon and I, we, never, we didn't think we could recreate that Saturday morning sound, like from the Archies and you know, Scooby-Doo and you know, those bubblegum pop songs that would play every time a bunch of teenagers would get chased by a mummy. You know, that kind of music. And, and uh, I had the Spider-Man record when I was a kid. It was, it was, it was a rock opera, okay? And it had, it had uh, Spider-Man and Doctor Strange versus the Kingpin. And every five minutes, there was a grooving bubblegum pop song performed by Ron Dante, who was also the singer for the Archie. And I wore this record out as a kid, okay? Did you scratch it? No, I did not, I did not scratch it. I scratched it just in, in playing with it. Uh, but it, it, it actually didn't have grooves anymore. You put the needle on, it would just, just zip across because I'd worn all the grooves off. That's like me and Panorama. It was my favorite. It was my favorite LP, and I loved the Archies a lot too. And that was yes, a big in, that was a big inspiration in this watching TV song that Scott and I wanted to do. And uh, out of the blue, I got a um, a CD from Ron Dante of the Archies, who was touring. And he was performing, and uh, uh, one of my fans was his webmaster and turned him on to my show, and he caught it in his hotel room one night on AMG TV or UA TV, and he said, you know, I love horror movies. I love monster movies. I love what you're doing. I love your retro style. You know, if there's anything I can do to help you, let me know. And I said, there's something you can do. You're the Archie. You're the voice of Archie. You're the voice of Jughead. You produced that song, you know, and this guy produced for Cher and Barry Manilow and did the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup jingle and the Coca-Cola jingle. He had gold records all over his wall. He did not need to, to, to produce a song for us, but produced the song he did and sang and played guitar on it. And uh, uh, so then once we had the song, it was easy to kind of go, well, we got this song, we've got to make this great video. And so um, there was a... There was a, a, a a amusement park called Playland at the Beach in, in, the, in the Bay Area where they had a museum. The actual amusement park didn't exist anymore, but there was a museum called Playland Not at the Beach where they had a lot of the original attractions there. And that's, that was in uh, El Cerrito, and we filmed some of it there. Uh, my, my landlord, Larry, who, who was an animator for Disney, uh, is like an a, a, uh, Imagineer, and he had a dark ride in his backyard. So we shot some of it in the dark ride in his, my friend's backyard. Eric Yee made mascot uh, costumes. I made the Roman costume. And uh, um, our director, uh, Ken Waller, did the, uh, the uh, uh, Yeti costume. And uh, I, I, I colored the cells. Uh, my friend Larry, who worked for Disney, drew the cells in the Alex Pop, Scooby-Doo, 
style. And we, we, we put the whole uh, music video together. And it was just like it went from two and a half years of an idea that we thought would never happen to within just a couple of months, everything falling into place. And uh, it's, just, it's one of my favorite all-time moments from the show. So did that answer the questions about the music video? It, it did, but it, it, I know you've got something that you want to talk about. But I also I need to ask you, so I'm also, as you are a, fan, a big fan of Scooby-Doo, and I, uh, my my son is actually a, quite a fan of the Mystery Incorporated, and and he turned me on to it. I started watching Scooby Doo Mister Mystery Incorporated, and I'm watching it one day, and I see this character pop up on the screen, and I'm like, oh my god, that's Mr. Lobo. Uh, yes, that's I got Mr. Lobo. I I got a phantom call from Cartoon Network. Uh, someone over there said that, you know, you really should check out this new series. The I don't know if it's in response to the watching TV video or if, if it's just random because there's a lot of obscure horror references in, in, the, in the whole season. You know, more well-known, less well-known stuff, all kinds of things from the, from the horror genre uh, uh, kind of woven throughout. And uh, the, the uh, Professor Ruffalo in the premiere episode of Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated is an XD or an exported character based on Mr. Lobo. So that was so kind of a... true. Supposedly. According to, to some insiders, it is, it is, they can't officially acknowledge it, just like they can't officially acknowledge the... Warner Brothers can't officially acknowledge the um, Bob Wilkins... There's a Batman comic, Gotham After Midnight, which has Bob Wilkins in it. But it's, it's, it's done in a way where the artist kind of inspired to sort of make it happen, and it wasn't officially contracted to be in there. So they don't like to say yes, but according to people who work for Cartoon Network, yes. I thought so. All right. All right. <coughs> now, I received a very bizarre email from you earlier. They came out of the void, and you said, you have to have me on. And I said, I'm already having you on. He said, I need to be on urgently. I said, you're going to be on at 9 o'clock. He said, I have something major I need to say. Now, very rarely do you come to me and say, I have something major I need to say. So if, you're, if it's major coming from you and you demanded to be on a show, you're already on. I did demand to be on this, on this show because I had forgotten that we were doing it today. But, yes, I did demand. Because <laughs> it's important. And now, it, you, have, you have a major announcement? Please. I do. I have an important announcement, and this is, this is, a, this is, this is a, a pure inspiration. Uh, uh, you know, we've been doing this show for, for almost 15 years now. And, uh, you know, I have been on every kind of television you can ever imagine. I've been on Public Access. I've been on ABC affiliates. I've been on Fox affiliates. I've been on UPN affiliates. I've been on uh, PBS affiliates. I've been on big cities. I've been on small towns. I've been on cable. I've been on satellite. I've been on the internet. I was on uh, several, and I, I was on uh, Zombie TV, which was a Roku channel. I've been on. I was on the. I was on B Mania briefly, and Fangoria TV wanted me briefly, and and I, 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 I so many horror channels that have come and gone. You were on in in uh, England. Uh, Sky, uh, uh, Sky TV. Sky TV. Uh, 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 the um, there was another 
show one too, a Mav TV, which was like an all men channel. Uh, but you know, it's just it's one of those things where it's like I was I always kind of UATV was a, was a big one we were on for many years. But you know, I always kind of looked didn't I, I didn't really look at myself at the, at the, the, the as the source of my own distribution. I always was sort of following different platforms for for the show, and every two years we would have to reinvent uh, the show, and um, you know I'm. I'm I've grown tired of reinventing the show, and, and I really think it's time that, I, uh, that Cinema Insomnia is, is coming to its own. We have our own fans. We've got a fan base. And I really, you know, instead of sending people to my new channel or wherever, I want to have my own company, my own production company, uh, and I want to have my own distribution network and to where I can make the show available for, for channels and, and, and platforms that are foolish enough to put my show on the air. But but uh, in the end, uh, I I don't I'm not I'm 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 not constantly you know if the if the channel just if if the if the channel decides that I'm not for them anymore or if if, uh, if the channel goes under or whatever, I I I I can I kind of on my own team you know and I can kind of uh, not not have to completely regroup. I don't know if that sounds selfish or what, but I basically. Uh, uh, Dixie and I, we have a lot of other projects that we're doing. You know, we have a magazine, Horror Host and Creature Features, which is a blog that we do. I have a, uh, a post-apocalypse uh, thing called Nuke Nova that I want to do. Uh, we've got uh, a Halloween thing called Happy Hollow that we want to do. We've got In Spite of Reality, which is a spoof of In Search of that, that, that uh, you and I have been working on all along. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, uh, there are movies that I'm involved with. I've done second unit directing on, on different movies. So, you know, I, there was really a need to create my own production company, and not just a production company, but a distribution uh, network and a collective to where I can, I can collaborate with a lot of different people. And, and because all of the people I know are uh, uh, appealing to a fringe audience, you know, and, and counter-programming, you know. And, and if we can kind of pool our resources and sort of, you know, be on each other's side, I think we can kind of bring that audience together, uh, um, you know, uh, versus just, just the I'll wash your hand and you wash mine, more, 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 more of, a, of, a, of a network. And um, so I have created, I had a vision, I, I drew it on a napkin, My own, Vicky and I are going to have this company. I don't know if you can see this. Uh, turn it, yeah, perfect. This is Outer Space International is going to be our company. Okay. And our, our mascot is an astronaut with an eyeball for a face. Okay. Okay. Now, do I and get the napkin too? Uh, I, I could send you this, so that you can, you can, but you have to make a copy of it. And, and, and send it back to me. But Olaf, I would like to, to invite you to 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 be part of this uh, collective. And and uh, you know, I think that uh, you know we have a lot. Uh, you know, we have projects that we've done together, like uh, Guide to the Unknown, the pilot that we made, or you know, Spite of Reality. You know, this could be a, this will be the umbrella that we can kind of push these things forward. Uh, um, and 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 versus um, constantly uh, looking outward 
I am I am now in control of my own content, and that that I think is something that I've always avoided. But I think that uh, it, it's necessary for me because you know my show is fan powered. I have the only fan powered show. It only exists because of people like you who appreciate it, you know, and 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 contribute to it, you know. Um, you 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 have helped this show and 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 helped uh, what I do by uh, you know helping uh, me develop my my marketing and my website. You 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 know you having right now you're having me on your show. Uh, you know our friendship is is is. It, you know, our, our friendship and our working relationship began as uh, you being a fan. You know, so I wouldn't be anywhere without without my fans. A lot of my fans are are also um, you know content creators in their own right, and I'm their fans too. So, uh, I, and I think that you know, uh, I am my audience, and you are your audience. So we, we are we are creating content uh, um, for ourselves, and uh, so I, I think that that, that is something that um, uh, you know outer space is is wide open. I have great pride in outer space. I think outer space has a great tradition. I think it's something we can all get behind. Uh, I, I think that it's something that is that is positive and futuristic. And uh, and I'm hoping, uh, 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 you know, that it will develop in the next coming year into a, a, a company we can all be proud to have an association. Well, I mean, as it's it's uh, it's shocking what what you're advocating. It is a massive change in the way that this kind of thing is done. And, and I applaud your forward thinkingness that, you know, you, you are counter programming. Um, you are a TV show that an executive from NBC told you to your face at Comic-Con should not exist. Um, you beat the WWE at their own game. That's that, a whole other show. That is true. Uh, you you outplayed the WWE. Well, the WWF back then, <laughs> but you know, Panda Bears wrestlers. <laughs> I think it was WWE. I don't think I don't think I think the Panda Bear. I think the worldwide, <laughs> wildlife people had already taken that away from them. Uh, and again, you know. Your your marketing advice was part was key in 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 turning turning that that situation around the, the that whole situation with TNZ. Yeah, th that was a very interesting. Um, we we don't have enough time left no. <laughs> to go into that, <coughs> but it's a hell of a story. Yeah, you know, um, we've had lots of talks about you, Mister Lobo, and uh, I, I have to applaud you. That that's amazing. Taking taking the bull by the horns, free, free advertisement, and uh, doing your thing. That's an amazing. Congratulations. Thank you very much, Larry. I I, I appreciate that, and and I think it, you know um, it is not meant to be an exclusive thing. It's meant to be an inclusive it's thing. What? It's a collective. I mean, it's you're, a collective, that, right? That's what so, I'm going to say. Is that you're, so it, you know, it, it almost I would almost think it would have aspects of a co-op. 
you know, um, uh, because you know we 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 um, you know we're self-driven, and and we and although we don't like to admit it, self-driven people who do this sort of thing, even though it is not the type of media that people associate with art, we're artists. It's true. It, it and, and, and and the horror hosts of Bob Wilson's time, they were they worked in the advertising agency, they uh, at the TV station, they were the staff announcer. The horror host was just a guy doing a job. Yeah. A modern horror host is more like a musician or or a painter because they recognize it the time has passed where they're recognizing it as a, an art form. And, and they want to proliferate that art form. Uh, so it, it, it is coming from a much different place, a kind of place that corporate America does not have the patience or understanding to, to, to well, get behind. Well, first of all, yes, absolutely, I will help you in any capacity that I can. And, and I made that commitment to you seven and a half years ago, and I stand by it today that if there's anything you ever need, I will do it for you. And on that behalf of Tesla Wolf, we, we are, Tesla Wolf is here to support you as well. But as me as an individual, I will absolutely go to the ends, the ends of the earth to, to help you out. I will follow you into Kmart any day of the week. Now, the depth, the darkest depths of Kmart, good Lord. That is now, a true friend. But I, I also want to say that, you know, there are people listening right now who are content creators, who don't have distribution, they don't understand how the system works, and I think that it is a brave and very bold thing to do to say that, you know what, I've had it with people trying to distribute my stuff. I've had it with people trying to, to control my content, and I'm going to control my own content, and I'm, and I'm stepping out there and putting myself out there on the line, you know, to say, I'm going to help you too. So, you know, one of the key things that I heard in what you said, beyond your, your amazing invitation to me, which I, I'm humbled and, and very respectful of and, and very honored, I also hear that, that you want to do, you, you want to do distribution, you want to get this stuff out there. And, and I think being involved in Cinema Insomnia to the capacity that I have been, that you've invited me to help you, one of the things that I've seen is that there are some amazing, very, I mean, they're good. We're not talking about schlocky crap films. I mean, there, there's good stuff. There, there's a guy in Italy who made an, the name escapes me, but he made an amazing horror movie that is absolutely amazing, and he could not get distribution. You know, he just, he hit a wall, and, and nobody, I mean, th it's good. It is up there with just about any horror movie I've seen, but the poor guy cannot get distribution. And I think of Eric Miller, one of my favorite directors, you know, with uh, Mark of the Damned and Taste the Blood of Frankenstein, phenomenal director, amazing movies that you start in, by the way. You know, a little odd. You, you have to like what he's doing, but I'm, for one, a huge fan. Cannot get distribution. I've never seen his movies anywhere outside of Cinema Insomnia. So I want to say that I, I think it's a very brave and bold thing to do to say, you know what, the guy told me I shouldn't exist, so now I'm going to take it further. And I, I don't know. I mean, I just, that, that's awe-inspiring. 
Well, I, 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 I'm, I am reclaimed with, with your, uh, uh, acceptance for, for my invitation. I, and I, and again, I, I hope that, uh, it is something we can all, uh, build together. Uh, that's why I chose Outer Space International and not Lobo Vision or, or something. I, I want every, the people who, who are, who are going to come along with us on this to feel like they have a stake in it. And, uh, uh, and it is not just a vanity plate. Um, so, you know, what I'm, what I'm hoping to do over the next year is, is to come up with, uh, a, a solid business plan and, um, a, a, which is going to have a lot of room for, uh, a, a lot of content for other people because, uh, we're trying to create a demand and that means building an audience. And, um, we, uh, there's so many, uh, uh, people that I know that I admire who are in the exact same boat I am uh, um, you know you, you mentioned that uh, the, the, that Italian film you mentioned uh, uh, Eric Miller I would add uh, Paul Bonnell and the um, uh, uh, the guy who made the ghastly love of Johnny X I don't know if you've ever seen that film uh-huh. it was the last black and white movie the last film shot uh, on actual film which is like a homage to 50 sci-fi and he had a heck of a time just getting it out. And uh, now Strand releasing has it. They had it on Netflix for a brief period. It's not on Netflix anymore. And he, you know, other other, it's hard to get it into other countries and stuff because oh well, it's black and white, you know. And they dismiss it just on it being black and white. Uh, we're going to be showing that little monster, which was another, which is an earlier film of his, which he has just given us the rights to show because he controls those rights. Uh, and, and for him to just offer that, I mean, it's like, you know, here's my baby, put it on the show. I mean, I, I don't take that lightly. And, uh, you know, um, you know I, 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 part of my job is to showcase. And, 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 and it, it, the show would not exist if I didn't have something to showcase. Um, you know, people always say, oh, I just like the funny things you say. Yeah, but the funny things I say don't make any sense out of context of the rest of the show. You know, um, and uh, so I... I feel like, uh, you know, uh, uh, there is a a definite need for a a platform. Uh, You know, of course, you know, when I started the show, I said, well, they're not bad movies, it's misunderstood. A lot of that was tongue-in-cheek, and a lot of that was, uh, you know, just counterculture to the, uh, uh, the, 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 the previous regime of horror hosting, which was the, um, uh, you know, uh, take the ugliest girl to the dance and make fun of her, you know? Um, you know, we take the ugliest girl out to the dance, but, you know, we put a nice dress on her and put some lipstick on her. She's got a good personality, turns out. Uh, and I think that that philosophy of they're not bad movies just misunderstood, even though, uh, like I said, it started as just a, 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 um, a catchphrase. I think that uh, it, it, it's very... It's very true that there are a lot of overlooked, and uh, uh, there's a lot of overlooked genius and a lot of misunderstood genius that is out there. And, uh, you know, um, you've got all the people with money focusing on teenage girls and what they want to watch. And, you know, you've got a whole other world full of people who, who, who are, are being swept under the rug because... Um, their graphic is is not the biggest. Um, so uh, I, I think that 
um, there is uh, a, an opportunity, just as there was in the early days of television with the UHF station uh, counter-programming, and just like it was in the drive-in where you had the A movies, but since there was such a demand for content, there were the B movies too. And the, the same thing with the mom and pop video store where you had the, you know, four inches on the, on the, uh, uh, on the aisle is the difference between a four, uh, $40 million movie like Poltergeist 2 and a $40,000 movie like Puppet Master 2. You know, you know, we need that other sign. There, 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 there is a there is an underserved public, and there is an underserved content uh, producer. I certainly can't. You know, I'm certainly not saying I'm going to fix that. I'm just saying that uh, uh, I would invite uh, uh, others to to look around them and look at the people who are doing uh, uh, fabulous work. And, and provide uh, 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 them a platform uh, uh, of their own design because, because uh, you know, we're, we're creating the culture. We just can't complain about how there's never anything that we like to see or, you know, uh, whatever. That $400 million movie bored me to death. Well, you know, there, there, you, know you, you can't, you can't on hand and on the other hand, uh, uh, completely ignore and overlook uh, uh, the work of, of uh, uh, other people who are trying to entertain you. Well, now, so one of the things that you were talking about is, is you know, that you want to get these movies out there, and, and, you know, getting the movies in is one part of the problem. And, you know, you know, I know you know, directors and tons of people who are out there making amazing content, you know, I, I remember there was a, a group of people that, that used to hang out uh, around Cinema Insomnia that made amateur kung fu films. I mean, full-fledged films, kung fu movies, these, these guys were shooting in the park. You know, and, and the, the choreography was amazing. Um, so once you get the movie in, you know, as you're working out this notion of distribution, because obviously that's a challenge in and of itself, whether you're going to movie theaters and saying, okay, movie theater, show my movie, or, you know, you're trying to break into Netflix or in iTunes or whatever, you know, what, what other mediums are you looking at to distribute? I mean, where, where are fans going to be able to go to see this stuff? Uh, well, certainly I would, I would, uh, I think the creation uh, of a channel will be part of, uh, uh, a multi-pronged. I, I would think that we would we would want to 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 have have a pipeline wherever we can find one. Uh, part of it, I think, too, is that you know I host a lot of film festivals and a lot of of, of managers of movie theaters. Um, you know, are always asking me. You know, what's a film that I can program? Uh, you know, uh, I, the, the 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 in in cinema experience, the, the movie theater experience is the only industry, and this is this is this is this is straight from another mentor of mine, Matthias Bombal, but it's so brilliant that I have to say it here. Uh, the only industry where the manufacturer is trying to put the retailer out of business. Um, you know, it, that's why popcorn costs seven dollars because you know the the studio is demanding that they they take they put this. This, their new movie on five screens and they got to have it up for two months or whatever, you know? And, and, and so, uh, um, you know, these, these theater chains are getting bankrupt. Um, 
uh, by uh, the, the the distributors and the studios. And the same with that's why there's no more mom and pop video stores. It's like you've got to buy 80 copies of Die Hard, you know, if you want Die Hard. But if you don't want Die Hard, well, of course, there there people who come into the mom and pop store. You know, they, they want, are going to want Die Hard. So they're going to have to have, buy those 80 copies of Die Hard. And if they buy 80 copies of Die Hard, they can't buy Squirm or, <laughs> or, uh, or Doll Man. Exactly. I love Doll so, Man. Uh, you know, uh, or Puppet Master 2. Or Puppet Master, um, or Puppet Master 2. Or Puppet uh, Master. So, so, you know, I mean, uh, you know, there there is a real problem where, um, you know, uh, the, there, there is, there is a real. You know, we're on a conspiracy show here, but there is a real problem where the people who hold the media really control the media, and they don't like the idea that someone. It is not. It is never a cool thing to tell people how cheap your show is. This show, my show, costs fifty dollars. They hate that, you know, because people give me two hours of their time mm-hmm. every week to see my fifty dollars show when they could be watching their $500 million movie. So that's why I shouldn't exist. That's why they don't want me to exist. That's why there are all these hoops that they have these, these poor kids who make movies, they give them these totally, oh, you got to put a star in your movie. Oh, and, oh, you've got these two, you know, you've, you've got two frames next to each other. That doesn't meet our specs. Or, oh, you got to have it closed captioned and you got to have all this supplemental material. They just keep giving them these things they have to do to get decent distribution. And, you know, uh, they end up not, not getting that decent distribution. It, they, 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 they don't have any faith in their project. They don't know how to handle it. I think the, the important thing is, 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 is to match the, the, the content with the audience. You know, if you've got a pipeline, it's got a lot of, got a lot of off-kilter you know, unusual content, then all those off-culture, unusual people are all waiting for the next thing to come out, you know? And I think a lot of it, is, a lot of what I see Roku, a lot of people are trying to say it's the new version of, of television. And, and in a way, it, can, it is, but in a lot of ways, it's kind of like publication, kind of like magazines, where it's sort of interest-based, you know? And, 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 and there, used to, there used to be these kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, publishers who had several different titles of magazines that were all kind of under one umbrella. And that's kind of what I'm seeing with this is it's kind of like a syndicate, you know, like uh, where you've got, you know, the detective magazine and the science wonder stories. And, you know, you've got all these things that are, are kind of, you know, uh, 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 have, a, have a similar reach, kind of all working together. And that might be something where you where, where an advertiser who, who wouldn't put an advertisement in my show because I don't reach enough people, they might put a, a advertising on a whole channel or, or, or within a whole network or put some money into a project if they know it's going to be in, well, your ad is going to be in 20 different shows, you know? Um, so, so, you know, and I'm not saying that that's the model, but I'm just saying that, you know, uh, uh, I think that there, there. I know I'm not the only person having this problem of distribution, and and I and I know a hell of a lot of people who who have I've, who I've helped over the years and who've helped me, who who are looking for a, a platform to produce and a platform to, to distribute. Well, you know, I, I think what's interesting about that is, you know, I, I have a a Roku channel of my own um, that that's curated content. 
and originally I designed the Roku channel um, to allow me to watch the videos that I want to watch on my TV because getting them you know from the the computer because a lot of times these movies that I, I collect are unavailable in fact you know I, I would if I didn't have to show you a blank screen right now I would give you an example <laughs> but a lot of these movies are, are unavailable um, on VHS or DVD and you know over years I, I collected them and damn it I just want to watch them so I made a I made a channel I, it's curated you know, um, and, and a lot of people started watching it. And I thought to myself, well, why is that? Well, it's because this stuff isn't available. And I think, you know, if you, I think if you create a Roku channel or you create a Fire channel or you create a Google TV channel and you put this stuff up there and you work with, you know, you work with these directors like an Eric Miller or, you know, some of the other, the guy from Italy, I, I wish I could remember his name. It is a, an amazing movie but i can't remember uh there's another movie i got from italy it's based on john teeter it's time travel and they you know they subtitled it and it's an amazing flick and you know you can only find it on my channel because nobody else cares i think well you know i don't mean to interrupt you but you know all of your channel does well because you have a, it is curated and because it is stuff that you actually would want to watch. Right. And so you understand your audience. So many of the, the Roku channels, especially the free ones, are, are, are literally just powered by links. It's the first image on Google for the, for, for the box, box art or the cover, and the, and the link is from archive.org or YouTube or wherever that movie is that's feeding it. And so, you know, that, that movie isn't coming out of their own library. That, that image isn't coming from, from a staff or anything. There's no branding past the opening screen. And so there is no sense of a curator. And I think that, again, we're going back to the mom and pop video store. That was part of what made that experience such a beloved experience is because, you know, mom and pop were stocking the shelves and they knew, they knew what their audience wanted. And in a lot of cases, mom and pop, Pop worthy audience because they were taking those movies home on Saturday night too. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, free entertainment, and that's kind of why we created Tesla Wolf Media. You know, we're providing something that is audience driven. And and what we saw in Tesla Wolf is that there there was no clean way, especially with live content, that if it's canned, anybody who really to can produce a Roku channel. It's not technically that difficult, but there was no way to do what we're doing right now. That it was, it was so cost prohibitive that many content creators, you know, they couldn't afford to have a show. I mean, if it were not for Tesla Wolf, of which you know I am a participant in, then you know I couldn't have this show. I mean, I couldn't afford. To, to stream this video live. It was impossible. So Tesla Wolf was Larry and me and, and Chris and some other people. It's our response to that, saying, you know what? The, the time has come to free the media. You know, no longer do I want to be spoon-fed shit from, you know, fill-in-the-blank multinational corporation. that I, you know, we, we own Paranoia Magazine 
magazine. So it was like, well, we need Paranoia TV. And the day that we announced, this is true, the day that we announced that we were going to do Paranoia TV, right? Ron Patton, who is the former publisher, now editor-in-chief of Paranoia, told a couple of people, he said, hey, guys, you know, you guys have shows on. You know, hey, you know, you do a podcast, whatever. What do you, what, what do you think about maybe doing a TV show? And it was like, oh, my God. Suddenly we had an avalanche of, like, 50 people, you know, who want to have shows. And now our, our problem now is saying, well, you know, if you want to have a show, there are te technical limitations, right? You have to do this or you have to do that. It's not that you can't have one. It's that we want you to have the best one possible. So having a, 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 you know, being in the void like you are right now, that's perfect. Or having a bunch of books, you know, it shows how dorky and geeky I am, but having a bunch of books, that's okay. Having a bunch of boxes, that's not cool. You, you know, so now a problem, you know, we freed it up and all these people rushed in. So now we find ourselves in the position of saying, okay, if you want to have a good show, we'll put it on. You can have a bunch of boxes, but that's a self-limiting thing. Now we're saying, coming back to them saying, you know what? We've given you the platform, and, and we're adding shows constantly. We're giving you the platform. Now optimize the platform. Make a good show. Make a cinema insomnia. You know, put the effort in. Make it good, right? And, and but the, I mean, the number of people that want to have shows, it's, it's crazy coming to us that are, are very famous in our subculture, that, you know, if you think about paranoia, if you think about conspiracies and UFOs, and some of the people that want shows are very well known, you know, and, and, and we're, hey, we're in, you know, now we're working with them to get them not so much to topic-wise, they got that nailed, but it's more presentation-wise, because the one change is that now we made it possible for you to have a TV show. But you have to think in terms of the TV show versus thinking in terms of a podcast. You don't want to see me here in my boxer shorts, you know, slugging power drinks. You want to see me in a framed in an environment that you expect. I'm a conspiracy writer, right? I'm I'm I've got a book coming out with uh, with Tim Beckley on on the pyramids. You don't want to see me in my garage. You want to see me with my books, <laughs> you know. But, but much like what you're doing, that's the decision that we made. We had to free it up. We had to open it up to the world. Because in our, in our world, there are so many people like a Nick Redfern or a Don Gilson or, you know, the, the Paranormal Lounge or I'm not much of you know, I, I'm not very good at this, but, you know, me or, you know, you. I mean, we, we saw this as a medium for cinema insomnia. You were probably you were the second show that we had on, and, and we came to you and said, "Hey, we've got this distribution system set up. We want it. We want you to bring your stuff in because your stuff is amazing. We have an entire UStream channel. You can go on UStream and search for it. You can go on Tesla Wolf and get it. Go on CinemaInsomnia.com. Get it. Get it anywhere. Watch Cinema Insomnia. It's a great fucking show." But we wanted you to do that. Now you're talking about live stuff you want to do and all these amazing things you want to do. And I'm hoping that, you know, I know you're being a little cryptic about, about your distribution system. You've got a lot of work to do. I know that. But I'm hoping that, that when you do deploy the Roku channel or the Google channel or the Fire channel or whatever channel you end up deploying, I'm hoping that you're going to integrate this kind of live interactivity into it as well as I'm hoping that, 
not only curated on demand, but it will also be, you know, programmed like a TV show, like a TV station. Well, well, definitely the 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 work that you that you've been doing, uh, and I say you as Tesla Wolf and Paranoia, uh, you know, is part of of uh, the inspiration because again, at, at this at this moment in time, uh, uh, you know, I am on uh, the Anomalies uh, channel, which is your channel, Olaf, and it's and, up there, and and I and I am uh, uh, running uh, my show. Uh, um, uh, off of your Ustream, uh, 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 so I definitely uh, am looking, uh, you know, for ways uh, to 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 collaborate so that uh, you know this that you feel that you're getting uh, uh, you know, that we're both benefiting from 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 our creative cross pollinization. You know, you have your 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 audience. There's a Venn diagram. Where there is, you know, your your audience and and what your audience expects, and my audience and my and what my audience expects. But what's really nice is there's this place where that we share a lot of the same fans, right. and I think that 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 that's that that's uh, that's that's the beauty of it, where it does it doesn't have to change what you do, and it doesn't have to change what I do, um, but uh, but we, we can we can allow uh, um, those different permutations to exist. Uh, whereas in, in a case where, you know, if I was locked with one particular channel and I didn't own the content myself, I wouldn't be as free to, to, to collaborate with you guys or, or to be part of, of, of your channel or to have, invite you to be part of what I'm doing. So, you know, I mean, I'm, the, the kind of thing that, that I'm looking to are, are more uh, in multiplying combinations uh, in that regard, and um, you know, and 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 and, and not and, and no one having to sacrifice their own mission statement of what they're trying to do. Well, it it is a that that is a major announcement. I mean that it is a diametric shift. I mean you're you know you're really opening it up for a lot of a lot of content creators in in the science fiction and in the horror genre drama. I mean all these. These people out there making these amazing films, you know, and shorts. I mean, commercials. You know, I mean, they they need to get a hold of you because I think you you've got a way that that they can get their stuff out there. Now, I don't want to forget. You got to yeah. give me the rundown. How do I get a hold of Mr. Lobo? Oh, okay. Uh, well, uh, you know, Mr. Lobo Emma .com is the easiest way. Cinema Insomnia is the website. Cinemansomnia.com is the website. I've got a Mr. Lobo fan page on Facebook. I've, I've got a Cinema Insomnia fan page on Facebook. There is a, uh, 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 a Cinema Insomnia Tumblr. There is a Mr. Lobo Twitter. Uh, I am the easiest person to get a hold of on the whole Internet, and, to be sure. And, and, and I will say that unlike, oh, unlike some people... Although... Yes. Although, Olaf, I invited you to Outer Space International on my Facebook, and you have not accepted yet. I will fix that as soon as this show is over. Uh, unfortunately, I was out for the evening uh, with some holiday festivities, and I have not had a chance yet. But I will absolutely uh, join that as soon as I'm off this. And, you know, again... You have I, three likes on there now. 
Um, we are all for life. <laughs> you're for um, Lucky number you know, three. If if you are listening to the show, um, you know, and you are a content creator, whether you write or you take photos or make films or whatever, uh, get a hold of Mr. Lobo. It, it sounds like he's building a collective um, under his his uh, Outer Space International uh, production company. Uh, to help you get your content out. So I think that if you do make movies, um, shorts, longs, if I'm hearing this correctly, shorts, longs, commercials, about any music videos, whatever, you know, definitely get a hold of Mr. Lobo. Uh, I think I get the feeling he, he wants to talk to you. And I will say, I will say that as a fan of Cinema Insomnia, the first time I ever emailed Mr. Lobo, I was completely shocked that he actually emailed me, and he will email you back. I, I think he, he might actually email you back. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I, or send a, I might send something in crayon. It just depends how much time I have. But, uh, <laughs> or in a cup. Well, oh, you know, I, I, I uh, you know, like I said, I, I, I'm very, I, you know, I, it, it's silly because you would think, I think a lot of people may have already assumed that I had my own production company, but you know, the, the show is kind of uh, uh, has existed in, in in cooperation with a lot of different directors and studios and channels over the course of its history. And, and like I said, I, I think that um, uh, and there's a lot of a lot of a lot of collaborations that weren't able to happen because either they didn't quite fit with Cinema Insomnia or they didn't quite fit with who I was working for. So now I kind of feel like I have more more freedom to where I, I'm not just thinking about my own show. Uh, I, I'm thinking about um, uh, creating a network, uh, which is different. Now, one one other thing that I do want to mention that I do happen to know um, is that if you are listening to this show or watching it, remember you have to sign up for Tesla Wolf. If you want to watch the archive, you have to go to TeslaWolfMedia.com and sign up. It's cheap. It's very cheap. And then you get to see the archives, or if you're going to download the podcast, you know, that's free. But, you know, if, if, you, do, if you do make the, make stuff, you know, definitely get a hold of Lobo. And if you have a TV station, or if you have a movie theater, or you have a Roku channel, and you really want to show public access even, um, if you want to show Cinema Insomnia on your property, um, get a hold of Mr. Lobo. Your outlet, if you will. The what? Your outlet, whatever your out that is. Yes, your outlet. Get a hold of Mr. Lobo. Um, he makes the show, shockingly, he makes the show freely available to all distribution outlets. Um, and all you have to do is tell him. So if you do have a state TV station or you work at one and you have a block of time sometime in the middle of the night you want to fill, email him. He, he will let you show it, uh, which is unique. More than likely. Uh, more than likely. But you have to tell him. <laughs> but it, it is completely unique that he does that. It is a free show. Uh, well, I, I feel that... that you know, this kind of show, I mean, again, I don't own these movies. I'm presenting these movies. Uh, and and I, I, I have enjoyed the public domain 
to a, to a large degree in the creation of my show, and I feel that uh, not not that I, I'm not saying my show is public domain, but I do want to put back in into that pool and make the show as available as possible. Uh, um, and and I because I really feel that um, the show is 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 a commercial for itself, and and uh, you know um, uh, uh, that of course you know leads to sponsorships which we enjoy. Uh, or people buying fan club kits, all those sorts of things. So really, the, the more the show gets out there, uh, the bumper stickers are nice. Uh, you know, uh, you know, that raises Mister. To be totally honest with you, the more available the show is, it, the more my real estate is, is rises because I can tell um, the people uh, who, who I work with how many eyeballs I reach. You know. And if I can say, Mr. Lobo's got 500 billion fans every Saturday night, that will be worth something to them, and they will pay attention. So that is something that I'm working towards, is, is trying to have the, the largest uh, number of eyeballs so that I can bargain, use your eyeballs as a bargaining chip in, in, in my global media empire. It is about global, actually it's beyond global, Mr. Lobo. It's beyond interglobal. It's outer inter, space. Inter space. It's outer. It's it's outer space. Universal. <laughs> it's outer space. It's out of this world. Totally out of this world. It's 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 the entire off solar world. system. It's the off-world colonies. A bold new land of opportunity and adventure await you in the off-world colonies. <laughs> I don't know how to come back from You can't. <laughs> you just can't. Another Blade Runner. It always comes back to Blade Runner. It always, you know what? There's a, in the conspiracy world, there's a theory. And it's kind of like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. There's a theory that, that ultimately all modern conspiracy comes back to the Nazis. But in the case of movies and science fiction, all fan geek our references always come back to Blade Runner. Yep. I mean, you watching Miami Vice, and you're thinking Edward James almost is gas. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, Roy Batty. I mean, uh, 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 you know, Rutger Hauer. For my money, he, he was he was that was his that was. You know, I know you like Hobo with a shotgun, but Roy Batty is Rutger Hauer's uh, prime role. Far as I'm concerned, it, it is he. It is he was. I don't know the process by which that they they got him to do it, but it is by far the greatest role that Rutger Hauer ever had, and he was perfect for it. The other thing is that the the and I and I have to apologize for the language, but two of the worst piece of shit actresses I've ever known in my career as a as a film host. Sean Young and Daryl Hannah are amazingly good in that movie, somehow. And Joanna Cassidy, who is a good actress, has, yes. has the shittiest role I've ever seen her have <laughs> and pulls it off amazingly. Her job, Zora, is to get I'll, shot. There's two movies I like, Daryl. I go through 15 plate glass windows in the middle of a shopping center. I, I really always imagine that it's like a it's like a guy with, it's like the guy from Hollow Notes with the mustache 
you know, wearing a leotard. Like, it's a totally different person than going through all those black windows. Her, I mean, she has two phases in that movie. She's snarky and naked, and then she's getting shot and going through a plate glass window. And she is a good actress. She is an amazing actress who's done some amazing work, and she has the shittiest role ever in her career and pulls it off amazingly. And you know what Harrison Ford says? Harrison Ford hates that movie because he said, I'm a de- I was a detective who didn't do any detectiving. And he pulled it off amazingly, too. And he didn't he did not do a good job in that movie. It, he, oh, Harrison Ford? Yeah. He's better in Apocalypse Now. Well, I, I feel that... Uh, you By know, the way, I, we're going over and fuck it because I'm talking about Blade Runner. Oh. Go. Are we going? No, go we're fine. Go. Keep going. Uh, I, I think Harrison Ford, you know, I, I think it, it was a double-edged sword because I think people, after Star Wars, people going into that movie had the wrong expectation yeah. uh, by having Harrison Ford, who had just played Indiana Jones and Han Solo. So I think that, that that's, that's the wrong setup for that, for, for that, for that character, first of all. And then the, the second part of it is that, you know, he... He's a guy who probably is only three months old. He probably, you know, he is kind of lost and doesn't know what he's doing. But I you know? think I mean, that lostness, I think that him being lost and not really knowing, and I don't know that he necessarily had a good understanding of who Decker is, I think that actually works for him. Because he, he's a replicant. He doesn't know exactly what he's doing. By the way, you know, I'm sorry, i got to burst everybody's bubble. He's a replicant. He doesn't know exactly what he, you know, oh, you know, big. You, you spoiled, you spoiled a 40-year-old movie. How dare you? But, you know, he doesn't know exactly what he's doing. He doesn't really, he's running on fake memories. You know, he's an assassin who's actually theoretically part of the group that crash-landed. They got reprogrammed because the counts are all wrong. You know, I think it works for him. He, he's out of his depth. He's, he's way out to pasture, off the farm, doesn't know what the hell he's doing. And some dude, you know, who is also an amazing actor, uh, I forget his name right now, um, but who is the, the, uh, the, uh, the head of the operation, is, is telling him, he's like, I don't want to do this, man. I just want to go get drunk. You know, and he's like, no, you're a Blade Runner. You're either cops or you're nobody. And it's like, well, you're threatening me. M. Emmett, Wal- M. Emmett Walsh. <laughs> yeah, M. Emmett Walsh. And he's threatening them. Like, well, since you're threatening me, give me a gun and I'll go kill people. <laughs> you know? In history books, he was the kind of cop who would call black men. Oh, we won't. No, no, we'll just stop there. But, but you know what? Even the part, <laughs> even the part with, uh, I forget the guy's name now. I've got to watch it again. Um, but he's he's in he he's the uh, genetic engineer and he's he I made your eyes you know yeah yeah yes uh, yes that is uh, 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 James Hong or something yeah like that. he James amazing Hong. actor and nailed it I yeah, he was great in uh, he was Lopan in Big Trouble in Little China yes he was Lopan I made your eyes I liked that movie what amazing movie. Yes. Rudger, Very good Howard's, Rudger Howard's response, if you could see what my eyes have seen. Now let, me, now let me 
kill you bushing yours. <laughs> you know, <laughs> a lot, a lot, a lot of, a uh, lot of head crushes. In a lot of head yeah, crushing. Yeah. You know, and they, they, they tear off his suit, and he's freezing, and you know, you know, the Nexus Six. I mean, you know, what you had is a, a visually stunning film. Yes. With mediocre writing. And yes. some great acting. Yes. I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, on all counts. But it's that's pulp. Isn't that what it's all about? It's what it's all about. And you know, and it's very it's very new wave. It's very punk rock, which is which is, you know, I mean people don't like to like to hear this, but punk rock is silo it is silo over substance. You know, they came up with the look before they came up with the movement. It's true. And you know, even even the pyramids you know the 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 cityscape flames. It's miniature the sounds. I mean, the sound that it makes that 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 you can't describe it, but that that purging sound is like beep beep beep, and it's and it it's it's rotating as it's coming into land. I gotta find it. Whoa, <laughs> <laughs> tonight. Soon as we're done, I gotta find it. <laughs> so, Mr. Lobo, I'm going to put you on the spot here for just a second. When can we have you back on the safe room? Any Anytime. I'll come back every week. <laughs> awesome. Here, I think this is it. And do you know, have you set a date of when your uh, stuff launches? The new stuff? Uh, I, 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 oh, new shows? Yeah. I will be a, we're filming a Christmas special right now. So we're, 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 we will have by the by, I we will drop a Christmas special. Right on. Probably Christmas Eve. You know, you know the other thing I, that that I didn't even bring up is that's mind-boggling about Blade Runner, is that the soundtrack was never released, and it is probably not, one not officially, not officially, not officially, and it's probably one of the greatest. Um, Sets of music did, yes. that they ever did. Vangelis? Yeah. yeah. Vangelis, when he did it, this is probably the best stuff he ever did. The only way that I know of that was ever released was as a bootleg. There was a, there was some, I think London Philharmonic or something put out a version where they just, they just, they just aped what Vangelis did and it's not quite right. It's real close, but it's not quite right. But it did come out around in the 80s somewhere. Larry, put that up. Is that a full version of Blade Runner? No. It's the intro. What is this? That's the intro. Music? Or the intro to the movie? Yeah, that's the intro to the movie. I like that at the ending. Of the, um... I mean, you watch, you watch this, yeah. and you remember when they made this. This is early 80s. You know, and it's no phenomenal. CG. No CG. I mean, it's all models. Yep, all models. The guys, did, the guys who did the, the close encounters, um, stalkers. I mean, this the, is this is amazing. No, I'm not seeing it. I don't think. Give Am me I just a second. It? I gotta go download it first. I mean, this is amazing. You know. The computer, I mean, at that 
time, the graphics were not sufficient to to really support this kind of a film either. And and the one of the things that I really love is that as they go up and go down the spinners, the cars they rotate. That's why they're yeah. spinners because they spin and yeah. they come up and they spin as they land. And the the just the the photography of them spinning is amazing. It's really funny because you know in, in when they were the full size spinners, you can clearly see the wires, but no one ever calls them on. No, you know because it's so beautiful that you don't care. Right, and and it's like I'm watching it right now when they're descending into the police station. It is so obviously a model that that you know, but it is so beautiful. And this part of the segment is brought to you by KeepVid.com. <laughs> All right, here we go. Ready to play it? I think. I think. I think. of the fireballs in his eyes. Holden's eyes. The no, Holden's eyes. Right. Uh, he, I would have liked to see more with Holden. I, I, you know, um, you know, he seemed like he really was the confident detective. He was. But he failed. That's why they accepted him the blame on Yeah. Because it's like, you know, you, you can't, the human couldn't do it. So now you have to get out yeah, you, well, you need a thief to check the thief, you need an android to get in there. Right, so, yeah, to catch a thief. So, oh, okay. Mr. Lobo's the screen. Yeah. But, you know, the, the thing about Holden is that they actually shot a whole thing with Holden. They, there, are, there are production skills of scenes that they shot where... He's in life support, right? I, yeah, I he's, not, he, he's in the he's in the tank. He's in like this sarcophagus, and, and it's all futuristic. I'm you know, Mr. Lobo's video. <laughs> that's okay. That's a good shot of him. It is. <laughs> Alan Smithy's Blade Runner coming soon to the space world. 
minute 45 and then we'll switch back. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think, I think that, that if they had expounded upon the whole thing, I think it would have been good. A lot of, I used to be a member of the American Film Institute, and they used to send the, um, the booklet every month, which was almost like a pitch, uh, a pitch deck, where they were talking about these film projects that were being made. And at one point, uh, the, uh, Tony Scott and Ridley Scott were working on, on a TV series using all the props from Blade Runner called LAPD 2019. And, uh, and, and if they had sold that series, uh, I think it would have been amazing to open up that world to typical detective stories. I think that would still make a great series if, if they could ever get it together. Well, I think I think a dystopian detective show, you know, I think would be very popular. I, I think people would be more forgiving uh, with, with, with the storylines and, and enjoy it at all. I, I think so too. I mean, they, they just, well, even the Big Lebowski, right? It's kind of a, it's kind of a, a throwback to, to that, that era. And, you know, people are very forgiving with that film. You know, I liked it. I liked it too. But they're, you know, they are very forgiving. For whatever reason with pulp detective stories, I guess maybe because the characters in it are fundamentally flawed, they, they are very forgiving. But, I mean, just the attention, you watch this, and the attention to detail is insane. I mean, everything is doing something. There's nothing that's not doing anything. What do you think happened to China? Do you think, do you think something happened to China, or do you think it's just overpopulation that's finally kind of come over to the United States? I think it's overpopulation. Because if you look at the cityscape, it's built horizontally and vertically. That the, I, yeah. Well, definitely overpopulation, but I was thinking that it might be post some post-atomic war. It could be. It could be. I mean, the weather, the weather is definitely screwed up because it rains the whole time. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely some kind of uh, ash, or I would have, I would have seen some kind of ash or something in the air. And in the novel, they talk about birds dropping from the sky constantly, but that it could just be pollution. Well, also you have to remember. It, in the in the novel, right? There are no animals. That no. everything is artificial. Yeah, and you can actually gauge how you can gauge how. Do you think every not? Do you think every non-Caucasian is a real person? Yes. In Blade Runner. Yeah, I, I think most of the people you see are real. You know, uh, see, I, I, I think that, that, that uh, the, the, the Anglo people are all androids. Really? Or it's like a sick gray. Is it's this? never... Oh, yes, like this. Right, exactly. <laughs> but it's, it's never not cloudy. And, and everything is dirty. It's dirty, but it's clean. Did you notice that? That it's, it's, that it's, clean. it's entropy. Because it's not, it's not like garbage. It's entropy. Everything is, en is entropic. Everything's decaying. And that's consistent with the book. Well, I, it's raining all the time, so everything is decaying. Although there is a, a good amount of garbage on the streets in a couple of the scenes. There, there is, but if you, when they're walking through the Bradbury building, most, there's garbage there too, but not, 
it's not massively significant garbage. It's not it's not like like a garbage dump. No, no, it's not like uh, 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 <laughs> it's not like idiocracy. No, no, but but but, but it, it it definitely it, no, it's definitely decay. Definitely uh, a, an abandoned a ghost, uh, uh, not a ghost town because there's too many people, but definitely an abandoned planet. Well, it's it's definitely a, a planet in decline. Yeah, and you know it it's just true. I mean, I know in that context, but it does. There is a certain amount of logic to what you're saying about all the Anglo's being replicants. It doesn't. Have, I, I I'm just again. It, it it seems like there's there's such a they make such a point of there being this kind of uh, swarm uh, of the Chinese population of the planet or, or well, even LA. the language. The language is a fusion, that it's not English. Yeah. It's not Japanese or Chinese. It's a fusion of a Japanese, Korean, Chinese, English. And how do you know that? You know that because of the narration. No, I know that because I listen to it. <laughs> You always bring it back to the narration, and 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 honestly, you know, you're you're showing a speak, gutter talk, a mishmash of Japanese, German, English, Spanish. What happened? You're showing this post-industrial wasteland, this beautifully envisioned dystopian planet. Yes. That that is. Are you kidding me? Unarguably, the greatest representation of that in all of cinema and at the end of the fucking movie well me and Sean Young are going to take off and have a family so they go down they get into the little the little pod car and they drive off into the countryside where the fuck is the countryside you saw that where the hell are they driving they, they Antarctica I mean seriously you know you, you look at it it's like, where are they driving? And, and, and by the way, you know, the only thing I've ever seen where the pod car was worse than that was the TV show for Logan's Run. I think, I think that uh, at, at the end of that movie, and, 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 I, and, I, and I know that they were having a problem, and, and, and the first Batman movie has this problem, uh, where probably audiences were coming out feeling... Uh, Upset. They didn't... Been in dark, not just been in darkness. I mean, I mean, like in, in, in the in the first Batman movie, there's no daytime at all in the first right. Batman, and so there's this kind of submersion that you feel of of just of just being for two hours uh, in 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 the darkness. And I think that, that they were trying to kind of get you, trying to get you out of that before the end of the movie. <laughs> right, and, and and there's this there's this kind of somewhere. You're coming out of the darkness because everything's happy now. She let her hair down. Her hair yeah. flopping around. You know, she took off the restrictive, very restrictive 30s era clothing. Yeah. And, and it's, it's not unrestricted. All the, all the clothes in that movie are restricted. You know, but it's, it's, there are a few more buttons undone. It's a little more flowy, free. You know, it's like, I'm only half made up, you know, and it's like, we got to get out of here because they're going to, gas going to come and get us, you know, it's like, you know, okay. I didn't know how long we had together, but then again, who does?
Who does? Driving off into the sunset. Only they're driving off into the day because there's a symbolism of I'm out of the darkness now. Or maybe it's just the implanted memory. You could be dreaming their escape. Like the unicorn? <laughs> That's the one thing that confused the shit out of me is that when I watched it, the director's cut, final cut, director's third cut, yeah. the almost final cut, is, is what's the deal with the unicorn? Lawyer's cut. The warrior's cut. What What is the deal with the unicorn? What is the deal with the unicorn? Well, I mean, I know it's an implanted memory, but it's like... I think that's why the whole legend thing has so much traction. Because it's like, if you're going to implant a memory, you're implanting a dream of a unicorn running through a forest. I get that the unicorn is mythical, just like the, the memories of Decker. But, I mean, it's just so odd. Well, I mean, the, the, the idea is that it would be something that... that yeah, going back to the whole aspect of Gaff being able to read a file. Right. Uh, it would be something that, that, that we wouldn't have, we didn't tell anybody about, and it would be really obvious that Gaff knew about it. Yeah. So it, it, I think that that was the only reason they picked that, is that because something that doesn't exist in real life and something that um, uh, would, would o Gaff would only know about if he could somehow know Jackard's uh, uh, name. I mean, I know, I, I can't speak for you, but I know I dream of unicorns all the time. Uh, I get manatees, mostly. Manatees? Yeah, narwhals on occasion. I like narwhals. Narwhals are fun. Yeah. I think, I, you know, I think what I think would be successful is not so much a recut of Blade Runner. I think what would be more successful is, is, Maybe recutting it a little bit, but but uh, substitution. You know, maybe we could create a choose your own Blade Runner where we give you like a Chipotle menu where you could say, you know, okay, I want thirty percent more narration. Maybe some sliders. You go, okay, I'll, I'll take I'll take thirty percent more narration. I'll I'll, I'll go ahead and uh, cut the dream about the unicorn. But I'll add in the part with uh, Holden and the life support system. But I think I think you could make it make it a, a very interesting movie where if you just shot the part with Holden on life support and just inserted it in the movie. You know what would even be better is if they just redesigned the game Clue with all the places from Blade Runner, and then you could just say, "Oh, it was it was Holden in Chinatown." <laughs> With the, you know, with the spinner. Right. And, and then every time you, every time you open <coughs> the envelope, you a different combination. No, that's good. All right. Okay. We're, we're 25 minutes over. <laughs> <laughs> we should cut all of that Blade Runner stuff. All of that. That, that should be the, it's the, okay. the paranoia cut where we take out all the obnoxious Blade Runner talk out of the episode. But you see, this is this is the problem with me, with you and me talking about it, is that it starts in Blade Runner, then it goes and talks about DefCon Four, and my theory about that, and then it goes and talks about Logan's Run. We didn't even talk about Boba Fett. I don't know how that didn't come up. Boba Fett? Heck! Oh, don't go for it. No, no, no. 
<laughs> we'll save I'll that do, for I'll another do, show. I'll do, I'll do the, the short version. The short version of the Boba Fett thing. Boba Fett is the biggest liar. Okay? That character's name is Bounty Hunter. He didn't have a name when they made Empire Strike Back. Yeah, he didn't. And then Kenner said, okay, please give us a character. We got kids chomping at the bit. We need a new character that we can put out for the new movie. And they said, well, you can have this guy. He just represents the threat of Jabba the Hutt. We're calling him Bounty Hunter. We'll, get, well, we're going to give him a catchy name. Kenner named him Boba Fett. That is hilarious. And they, made, they, made the, they made the Christmas special, the, the noxious Christmas special, and they had an animated sequence in that uh, uh, holiday special where Boba Fett is a freaking badass and he's like shooting things out of his wrist and flying with his rocket pack and riding on some weird beast of burden and, and you know, uh, we'll meet again Skywalker <laughs> you know, it's like it was so like this awesome setup for this character who has like two words in, in the movie like, you know, he means a lot to me and oh, okay, whatever I mean, that's like his whole character in Empire, he doesn't do anything but take uh, Han Solo away to Jabba so they had no no disintegration. Oh, sorry, no disintegration. And he does this. Oh, no, Vader says no disintegration. Vader says no disintegrations, and Fett goes like this. Yes, that's right. He does nod. He, he does that a lot. Mm. So, so anyway, so, so then now there's all this speculation where it's like, okay, this is the next big bad guy. He's going to be awesome. And then Jedi comes out, and he unceremoniously falls into the Sarlacc pit and dies. But he doesn't die. Not if you know in Marvel Comics he didn't die either. The Jawa thought he was a droid after the Sarlacc. Because book. the body armor, the body armor uh, protected him. The body armor gave the Sarlacc indigestion and it barfed him up. It barfed him up. That was so, in Marvel Comics, but then I think uh, I think uh, Dark Dark uh, Horse did their own version of his surviving that also. I just got a text message about one of our other shows that's currently running at the same time. Um, would you like to see this picture that was just texted to me? Oh, wow. All right. But the thing about Fett... That's just wrong. And, and you're, you're speaking of the, the weird holiday special. Yeah. That was a holiday... And they, 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 oh. they... I had one more thing to this. I got to add one more thing to the mystique of Boba Fett. The Colonial Viper toy shot a missile that caused a kid to choke and die. So they did not release the Boba Fett toy with a working missile. So there was always this mystique that they thought that the toy must have killed some kid. Oh, and it was the Viper? It was the Viper that did. So they just, they just decided to not have the missile fire because of the Colonial Viper. But because the missile was a separate piece on the figure... It was always the mystique that, oh, wow, this toy killed some kid, and they had to make it not fire. Okay, sorry, go ahead. Well, supposedly, the rumor that I heard is that they, in one of, because they didn't do it in the last three, in the first three, they were supposed to do a whole thing with the Mandalorians. And there was supposed to be a sequence where the Mandalorians, as, because they were... The Mandalorians, according to canon, the Mandalorians were mercenaries to the Trade Federation. There was supposed to be a scene where like 50,000 Mandalorians 
on these uh, metallic war beasts, these basilisk war beasts, or not riding anything, just in their body armor, were supposed to assault a planet. So the, the scene was set as that you see in it. You see these sh troop ships come in, then they open up, and all these Mandalorians pour out of it, and they actually go through re-entry in the body armor. And when they land, they have this cataclysmic battle with the clones and with the, with the Jedi Knights, and it's this massive fight. And so when the new movies came out, everybody was like, where's the battle? Where's the battle? Where's the battle? Never happened. Because they determined that the CG required to do this was so expensive, they just fuck it. Uh, I don't know. That's, that's, that sounds like there's a lot of speculation. That was speculation, that, but it's the rumor I heard. But I, 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 I think that, that, that there was the, you know, obviously, apparently everything in the novels and everything, all that, anything that's not in a movie is not canon. Right. Uh, uh, the, 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 I think the other thing, the other thing that, the other thing that fueled uh, the, uh, the other thing that fueled uh, the, the, the mystique of Boba Fett was the Empire Strikes Back sketchbook, which had the explanation of who the Mandalorians were. Um, and, and, and I think there were several drawings of Boba Fett, but they just kind of said, well, this is a, this is a group of people called the Mandalorians and, 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 you know, they, they have all these hidden, you know, hidden, hidden compartments and that Boba Fett came from this group, you know, uh, of warriors, um, you know, and, and so, but I, I Joe Johnston and Dan O'Bannon did all the sketches and I think that, um, you know, people, uh, again, that added to the mystique of the Mandalorian race and all that, which, uh, you know, again, uh, it was written about in the sketchbook and written about in the comics, but in the scope of the movies wasn't there, and Lucas probably didn't even know about it because it was probably all created by whoever was drawing those, whoever was sketching out those characters and, 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 and giving them to George for the, yay, for the yay or nay was coming up with the backstory for them. Well, so canon has now been expanded to include not only the movies, but also the Clone Wars cartoon oh, show and, and the new uh, Rebels cartoon show. And, and in the Clone Wars, as I happen to know somebody who's a massive fan of it, in the Clone Wars, they actually do have battles with the Mandalorians. So I well, can only they, hope they, that they out they of finally, the they finally, second, cast, huh? finally ca they finally cast that check that they wrote when I was... I'm, I'm really happy now that I'm a 45-year-old man that they finally cashed that check they wrote me when I was 10. And you have to watch it in a cartoon. Well, I think Lucas always wanted to do a, a cartoon or puppets. I mean, I mean it's, you know, I think that if he could have done the whole thing with Muppets, he would have. I think, I think that, that, that George Lucas is like, always wanted to be Jim Henson or Walt Disney. He didn't he wanted to make movies for ten-year-olds. He didn't. He didn't really want to make. He didn't really want to make a smart movie. He was really upset that Empire Strikes Back was as dark as it was because that's really not what he. It's not what he wanted for that movie. Yeah, American Graffiti is definitely for ten-year-olds. I love American. Well, graffiti. American Graffiti is, is 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 for teenagers and it is. Uh, uh, All hot rods. You know, I mean, what's funny about that movie, and this is, this is something else to talk about, 
the, the world changed in the 60s so much that you could release a movie in 1972, nostalgic. Where were you in 62? That was only 10 years prior to that. The world wasn't even the same place in 72 than it was in 62. Can you imagine if somebody said, where were you in 2004? Boy, let's have these wacky exploits about the kids of 2004. I mean, that would be like a crazy, boring movie. You know, I mean, the, 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 the whole world changed in the 60s, and Lucas was smart enough to, to see that that, 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 that that world didn't even exist anymore. It's true. Uh, uh, and and, and, and I, I think that, um, you know, that's a groundbreaking movie. But, you know, Lucas is a gearhead, you know. Lucas is a guy who's done more for the technical aspects of filmmaking than any man alive. He is not... You know, when he said a special effect without a story is a boring thing, he didn't say that because he likes to tell stories. He said that because that's a concession. He likes to be put, to make, he, he's the gearhead. He's the John Milner character. He makes them go faster. He paints them with the, with the, with three, uh, uh, you know, or the, or the, you know, root beer metal plate paint job and the best chrome and the whatever and the THX. And the surround sound, and the, that's what he's all about. He's about the technical aspects. That's what turns him on is the technical aspects of it. You know, as far as the stories, you know, he's reading like you know King Arthur and Scrooge McDuck, and going, "Oh yeah, okay, we could do this deal." You know, I mean, the, the, well, yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, the Star Wars. You know, it's a cross between a western and the Throne of Blood. You know, so you know, I, I mean, again, I mean, that's that that's the, the story and the and the, the Jedi Knights are samurai. Are the are the are the concession for him? You know, he's he's the pod racer. He's making them go fast, and he and he and he and then he's making them make money because that's the other thing that's important to him. And you know, you can you can you know uh, you can call whatever movie you want of his uh, uh, a failure, well, except for maybe Howard the Duck, which was a financial failure. But, uh, you know, all of his movies, uh, you know, all of the Star Wars movies, which is which people like to complain about, were all made money, all made a lot of money, like like top biggest grossing movies of all time kind of money. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, and it's it's so they were so powerful that they I mean, you know, they they when Disney he so, you know, the new Star Wars, right? The Force Awakens. Yes. He he was courting Disney to buy Lucas Films, mm -hmm. and to buy the Lucas Empire, and he he got he started to put because he could he started to put uh, seven into production to increase the valuation of Lucas Films, and he got oh. an extra billion dollars because they were doing seven. Smart, right? And and when Disney bought it. The first thing that they announced is a whole sh shitload of animated movies, you know, direct-to-video shit that they're going to do on Star Wars. They announced that they're revamping all of their parks to include massive Star Wars lands. I would not be surprised they destroyed one set of parking lots to build Cars Land. I would not be surprised at all if they destroy the rest of them to build Star Wars Land. I wouldn't be surprised either. And what I think is really funny is that I think that Star Wars may become Disney's biggest liability, um, you know, because they, they, they bought Marvel and made Guardians of the Galaxy, and Guardians of the Galaxy is Star Wars 
for, for, for teenage kids coming up now. Yeah. And, and, um, and so now they're like, oh, wow, well, that worked really good. So now what do we do? You know, I mean, they, 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 they're going to have a hard time to uh, get their how many billion dollars that they, that they, that they pay, Lucas? Four billion dollars that they pay? For, you know, and, and, and they've got to put all this stuff into production. And, and I mean, again, I think they will over the long haul. Um, because I think I think I think Darth Vader is Mickey Mouse for our generation. I, I think over the long haul, I think it, they, they will get that money back. But it's gonna. I think it's, with all that they've invested, it's gonna be slower getting back than some of their their their, 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 their newer stuff, the Marvel stuff, which is doing really good for them. Well, the, the you other know, you got to look at the other side of that too. You know, all the people that are our age are fans of Star Wars, and those are the people that are buying Disney stocks. So they're either going to make it on one end or the yeah. other, and I think that that's what they were looking at. Yeah, but it's also it's also a huge liability because I think that the the fans of Star Wars are unlike fans that they've dealt with before. That the that there are a lot a lot of super fans of Star Wars, mm -hmm. we and they get really really vocal and angry when they break canon. You know, it's not like Star Trek where you can reimagine Star Trek. You can't reimagine Star Wars. That will not cut it. Yeah, no, I agree. We lost your video feed, too. I'm sorry. I'll get it back. Uh, well, you know, again, uh, I think the Star, Star Wars, I mean, in a weird way, I think the prequels was probably the best thing they could have ever done for Star Wars because going forward, everything will look awesome. So, um, you know, he's created a much, he, in, a, in a very brilliant way, he's created a much easier act to follow. That's, that's true. But, I mean, I can, I can think of very few friends. call that the George Lazenby effect. <laughs> the George, yes, the, you, yes, the George Lazenby effect. Yeah. But he I, was the second James Bond. But I think, I think that, out of all the franchises, right, you know, there, there are super fans of Halloween. There are super fans of Phantasm. There are super fans of, you know, Kill Bill. But the super fans of Star Wars are, are on, on a level that is so, I mean, they, they will be very vocal if it breaks canon. They will be very vocal. They'll go see it. But, I mean, the amount of bitching and moaning that will appear if they break canon is off the chart. And, and the, the super fans cross so many demographics that it, it's, it is a huge management problem. I have a question for you. Okay. When did sci-fi fans become sports fans? Because all they ever do is bitch about their team not winning. <laughs> Roll and, ball, and they still they the the at the end of the the end of, you know the, the the fans of the Cubs or or whatever I mean I don't even know anything about sports but the fans of the most loserous team spend the same money per ticket as the as the fans with the most winningest team so they don't give a crap how much people bitch as long as people go see the seventh version of Blade Runner they're going to keep putting them out. That's true. That is true. 
And, and it's true of Star Trek too. I mean, I saw Star Trek five. Uh, yeah, the, uh, uh, the, 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 uh, uh, God, God versus Kirk. God versus Kirk. Yeah. That one's rough. That one's yeah. rough. And Kirk that, that, that's like the, the Captain Kirk, me too. Uh, and after, after Leonard Nimoy directed two of them, he's like, hey, I, I have to direct this one or I'm walking. So. Well, and, and I mean, I why he talks like Jimmy Stewart. But. Kirk, Kirk takes on God and he wins. Yes. You know, he also he also he also like he delivers everybody else's dialogue too, where it's like you know fascinating. You know, I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. He's like doing every he's like doing the whole movie by himself, and everyone else is just sort of standing. Kirk and uh, Spock and Bones is just kind of standing around looking at Kirk. It's miserable. That that flip the one is unbelievably bad. Okay, I'm. I mean, just understood. I'm. I'm here. Let me fix the camera. All right, are we, gonna, are we gonna kill this. Are we gonna put lipstick on this pig. So I'm I'm gonna call bullshit. <laughs> we're 45 minutes over. It's all right. We're good. So, yeah, but Mr. Lobo is on Eastern time. <laughs> yeah, it's 2:42 in the morning. Yeah. So we're we're gonna we're gonna call this one, and uh, we'll we'll save the we'll save the Star Trek uh, the Star Trek for another show. We don't have time. For it. We don't have time. We don't have time. Um, no, but, but it was, a, you know, I, I, I you know, it, 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 we probably do need to have a podcast, Olaf, just so that we can work this stuff out, or a therapist, or a good therapist. Well, you know, I think it functions as a, as a therapist for many people, and that, that's a whole other riff of people who who film their reactions to things that just drives me nuts. Um, so next next week on on uh, first of all, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Lobo, for joining us. Yes, thank, thank you. you a lot. The, the pleasure. Uh, thank you, Larry. The pleasure is mine. Thank you for having me. And and thank you for honoring me and inviting me into the outer space international uh, family. I, I gratefully accept, and I'm humbled and honored. <laughs> um, so next week on the show, uh, it'll probably just be two hours. <laughs> Um, and we're going to have Guy McPherson on. Uh, it is going to be uh, <clears throat> shocking, I think, for many listeners. Um, his He is a professor emeritus at, at Arizona State, um, and he, he has some very interesting uh, observations that he's made about climate uh, extinctions, and it's going to be a very interesting and riveting show. Um, he has supplied... He has very uh, nicely supplied us with a slide deck uh, that has some some uh, images that he wants to to talk to uh, during the interview. Um, it is going to be a very shocking uh, thing, I think, for a lot of people, and it I think it's it's well suited for the safe room because you're going to want to be in the safe room for this one. Um, and, 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 and certainly much more intelligent conversation than oh, we yes. have going on tonight. <laughs> no Blade Runner in, in, in that one. But Guy McPherson is an amazing, <laughs> Guy McPherson is an amazing, uh, amazing guest. I've heard interviews with him before. And it's, it's yeah, I, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag, um, but it's, it's going to be interesting. It, when, you, when you are done with that interview, your perspective will change. So uh, thank you very much for enjoying uh, the show. I hope you did enjoy it. Um, I had a lot of fun. And uh, we're definitely going to have Mr. Lobo back. He is out of the 
the two guests we've had so far uh, were absolutely amazing. We went over on both of them. <laughs> and, and, you know, um, but thanks for listening. Yes. Cut. Cut. Thanks yes. for listening, and, and uh, we'll see you next week. All right. We want to give a shout-out to all the families of the victims that were involved in the high school shooting today in Portland. And uh, God bless everybody. Good night, and see us next week.